nothing is what it seems. In a time of uncertainty, the future is about to be placed. Hello, welcome to Masterpiece Video. How may I help you this afternoon, sir? I'm looking for a copy of Eight and a Half. Is that a new release, sir? No, it's the classic Italian film. Yes, sir. Just check that on the computer for you, sir. Yes, here it is. Nine and a half weeks with Mickey Rourke. That would be in the erotic drama section. No, not nine and a half, eight and a half. The Fellini film. Creeps are coming with Jared and RJ. From This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jarrett Duncan. RJ, Baylog. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order of release. This week we're going down memory lane again, but with weirder looking people and all the women you can shake your bullwhip at as we watch Spine 140 in the Criterion Collection, Federico Fellini's Eight and a Half from 1963. But first, RJ, how does it Mm. feel to be uh, out of the sway of constantly having to watch movies all october long uh, it feels good actually uh i'm usually pretty relieved at the end of creeptober yeah i mean don't get me wrong creeptober is the best time of the year undoubtedly uh and i like it quite a bit but uh, i do find it definitely puts a strain on certain aspects of my life i know uh, andrea for as good of a sport as she is near the end she's She's uh, her patience runs a little bit thin with this uh, this movie watching every day all day. So, anyways, yeah, I feel good. I, I'm kind of happy. I uh, don't need to watch stuff every night anymore, out of obligation and not just out of joy. Well, I do it for joy in Creeptober, but you know what I mean, it's, am I right? It's a little taxing. It, some well, there's some days you're like, I don't want to watch one, but you're like, but I haven't missed a day yet this month. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, fuck, I, I I guess I better do it. Yeah. And then you put in a real piece of shit movie, like one of the ones I'm going to talk about tonight, and it just throws you off. So uh, yeah, I'm doing good. I haven't watched anything since <laughs> the end of Creeptober except for uh, the Creep this week, and I'm okay with that. I'll get back on the train soon. I gotta I gotta mix it up a little bit, get out of the horror realm for a little, and then. But uh, I'm not burnt out on horror like uh, previous years I have been. So I'm going to, uh, I'll, I'll still keep it hip and relevant with that stuff. Yeah, um, I'm sure our uh, listeners are probably also quite taxed after uh, taxed. listening to whatever, <laughs> seven hours of ghoul schools in October. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, that's all I have to talk about tonight as well. But yeah. uh, they're cool. Cool movies, at least, if that, that makes yeah, a difference. That's right. After even the uh, last episode, which was uh, the Ghoul School number nine, uh, we recorded uh, three hours, ten minutes, and uh, we still mm-hmm. didn't manage to talk about all the stuff we had uh, watched the previous couple weeks. It's just that no. kind of uh, it's that kind of month. I left a bunch out that I'm not going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, as did I. Yeah. Some some things are just best left dead. I mean, unless you want to hear about scary movie. No. 
Yeah, that movie actually holds up pretty good. And since we were watching all those 90s movies, it uh, it, uh, it hit the spot just right. I think Scary Movie's not bad. All right, then. That's my hot take. Well. Buddy. That's cool. Hey, how's the new house? It's pretty good. This uh, is the first uh, pod in the new house, eh? The, the first creep. Uh, we did re- we did mm-hmm. we did do that test run with the ghoul school. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. are working like a dream. Uh, unlike some people, I had my shit together and I had the shod man come in, set up my internet. Oh. Uh, you know, before uh, the Wednesday, you know, we would record because I called two you know, weeks in advance. You know, if I hadn't lived through that experience and and taught you how to be different, you would have been in the same boat. You know. I don't roll Baylog style. I'm uh, I like, I like to be on top try. of things. No, because because otherwise I will be recording these episodes in some other man's office. Oh well, you could go to my office at the university. In the bathroom. Hey, just because there's a toilet in there doesn't mean it's a, a restroom facility. Hmm. That's just for me. It's part of my union deal. Right, the unions. Okay. The unions. Yeah. Anyways, how's that new house? Is it haunted yet or what? Uh, Just the fridge, maybe. It kind of howls sometimes eerily, mm. but that's about it. Have, uh, having a house is pretty cool. I've got all this I got yeah. all this room. Uh, you can't see this, folks, but RJ can kind of see behind me. I've got a, a collection of bookshelves emerging. Uh, I've started to unearth the uh, DVD and Blu-ray collections, starting with mm-hmm. my boutique titles. And, of course, what do I begin with? The Criterion Collection. So, uh, Nerd. I've got... Uh, basically two and a half shelves too deep filled, filled with those criterions. Jared's just like in a dumpster behind a pizza (laughs) hut. I don't know what all this, this fancy talk he's trying to like convince people of that he has a house. (laughs) Come on. That's right. I have a house with walls. So when you moved and you like you were just faced with the mass bulk of things that you've purchased over the last like 20 years, did it hit you with like a sense of regret or disappointment or anything like that? Or are you happy with the life you live? You know, the problem is, is when you buy it, when you, you, you miss, you get a dud. Those those ones hurt because those cost the same as uh, the good ones, as the hits. And now you're stuck with it. And what are you supposed to do with it now? And uh, even like, if you want to get as much money out of it as possible, it's going to cost you your time. And it's like, mm-hmm. is that time worth recouping that cost? Some people are like that. They're real, I don't know, they don't think about it. Me, I'm just like, I don't care. So uh, I uh, have piles of things. There's still stuff that I brought with me to this house that I probably should have got rid of before moving. But uh, mm-hmm. now I'm staring at it. And now I can like readjust and go, Maybe now's the time to turn over a new leaf and just get rid of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's definitely some uh, a little bit of regret. By the same time, I I love the fact that I've got all this wicked stuff, and now I have the space to look at it all, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, actually maybe read some of it or watch more of it. You won't. Uh yeah, I won't. But I do have now less money to spend on new stuff, which will oh. force me to revisit the things I already have because I have probably at least a couple lifetimes worth of things to read and watch so I'm kind of okay you think you're all right and I have the internet for everything else oh what do you mean the internet you know how the internet works are you it's it's like a how our podcast is free everything else is free right 
Oh, that's what we're doing, huh? Yeah. And if, and if you want to volunteer that money over, you know, via patreon.com slash criterion creeps, you can do so. People can do so. I suggest maxing out the limit and donating all of your money to us so that I can watch more movies and be a, a better person. That's right. And drop out of this school business. Yeah, I would really like to just be a loaf at home. Mm hmm. That's what people want. That's what the barn loaf dream is, Jarrett. Well, you know, uh, you know, I, I was noticing just today that I think we're a, a third of our way to a thousand subscribers on YouTube, which uh, mm. th- that's uh, you know not nothing too amazing when there's like people who have like a hundred and fifty thousand followers and some, over a million. But uh, considering we're a couple of nobodies with absolutely no celebrity stature whatsoever, I think that's pretty okay in this niche world of criterion physical media celebration um so i was wondering though because i'm like well at what point do we start getting invited to these conferences because apparently Mm -hmm. there's like podcasts like shindigs and whatnot and i'm like what'll what'll happen when i get an email saying hey you have the opportunity to come and fly out and come to a hotel and pay for it and pay for your flight and come talk and it's like, where's the speaker fee? Oh, there is none. Mm. You should just come and so we can put your name on there and, and fill up the coffers for the real guests. And uh, mm. is it is this like one of those things where people submit a book or a screenplay to a contest and it's like, you you did it. You won. Now you have the luxury. But this is, this is after you've paid like a $75 submission fee. Submission fee. Yeah, it's like, great. You are now given the luxury of coming down here and taking classes with us. We only do this with the people who win. Only $750 to $2,000 for the seminar. Uh, yep. It's a heck of a deal. You'll learn how to pod better. Hmm. I think that's an interesting thing. But uh, I don't know. I feel like if it's going to happen, I will get tapped to do some kind of porno movie <laughs> from uh, these podcast celebrity people. You know, Randy Quaid style. Uh, and, uh, you know, I might depends uh, if the money is good or not. Right. Yeah, that's fair. Some kind of criterion esque, uh, rip off of a porno. Did you ever see that movie? Me and Earl and the dying girl. Jared? No, that, that movie's pretty good there. Uh, there's two guys in it who, uh, remake movies like, uh, Werner Herzog style movies. Oh, that's the kind of vibe I'm going for. But, uh, that's a teen romance and, uh, I'm talking, I'm talking other stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyways, what were we talking about? Uh, nothing. But hey, oh, okay. RJ, what the the mail bag? It's full. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, do you mean the cis white mail bag? <laughs> because we got that. It that one is full. We uh we have our quota filled. Yeah. We well, yeah. In podcast land, uh, I mean, if we had three three of mm-hmm. us, oh boy, we'd be in business. That's like, I think the next level. And then we could have like mm. uh, the token female, oh, who just comes in once in a while and talks about like how hot they are and how. Uh, but it's cool because they're super smart and they love movies. And they just like to chill, have a beer too. Yeah, yeah you know, there's one of the boys. Yeah. yeah, that'll that'll be the day. Mm-hmm. All uh, right. Well, t- yeah. what are you talking about? I got e- we got emails. We got what emails kind? from all quarters. Four from all quarters. Four emails. That's that literally means the bag is full. Is this from uh, all four friends of the show? Uh, almost. Um, all right, let's hear. Yeah. Okay. First up, we got Oliver, old steadfast Ollie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He wrote in to address some news that happened like 
after we recorded uh, Wall Strawberries regarding Filmstruck. Mm. Filmstruck is shutting down. Gutted. I was using a VPN to access, but at least two companies were getting my money, Filmstruck and VPN. Now there is literally no legal or semi-legal way to access these films in New Zealand. Apparently, AT&T are shutting down their niche services so they can make some new service like Disney is going to do. Mm. The streaming world is becoming like cable again. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, that was, like, a big shock for a lot of people who got to actually enjoy Filmstruck. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, Oliver uh, went down the VPN route to get access to it, and that was Mm -hmm. working for him. It's what uh, everyone was doing back in the day with Netflix, so they'd get that sweet American Netflix. Mm Because here in Canada, uh, our, our selection is legendarily small and poor. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's like one quarter oh, I'd be for sorry. content. Yeah, probably. I mean, we get yeah. all the, we, we get all the Netflix original programming, but when it comes to like other studio stuff, it's really hit and miss. I'm sure there's stuff that we get that other people are like, oh man, I wish we got Canadian yeah. Netflix, but overall we're, we're uh, losing on that front mm-hmm. and we pay just as much. But, uh, yep. and really in Canada, we don't have many options for streaming. We don't got Hulu. We never mm-hmm. got Filmstruck. All these, uh, once in a while you get like a, sh- a shutter and stuff like that. Yep. Just like a few things that do uh, get international. But yeah, for the most part, it's uh, kind of crappy. But uh, yeah, so I, we never got to enjoy Filmstruck. But uh, from all impressions, people are pretty bummed, pretty choked. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I think probably a lot of people are like, finally, I can uh, shuffle off this mortal coil <laughs> of my physical media and uh, just watch everything digitally. And it'll be like that mm-hmm. forever and ever. But uh, here we are, and uh, now it's being taken away from you. All those special features that you could watch online now, the commentary mm. tracks, all gone. And uh, now you have to, I guess, go without or uh, start buying stuff again. But you know what, RJ? When that mm. habit's broken, people just stop stop spending the money. They will yep. just they'll just go. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really need that at all. It just takes up too much room. Um, yep. I saw some guy on Facebook post like a picture of like how he stores his movies mm-hmm. and he just hasn't been like a rubbermaid bin and he's like oh don't judge me too harshly and then you know I was like, somebody, i'm like oh as i look over at my uh several rubbermaid bins of like overflow stuff um and cardboard boxes i have to open up and fill these meager mm-hmm. shells with uh and i'm like yeah the physical media takes up a whole lot of room and uh that's probably where a lot of these like pawn shops and secondhand stores like load up on this stuff is because people buy this stuff because you think you need it and you're going to watch it forever. But you watch mm-hmm. it once and that's maybe you watch those special features and then uh, you put it on the shelf and you never think about it again until you go, oh, fuck, can I have to pack this thing? Why did I ever buy this? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, Criterion is a different ilk. Like those, I feel like they actually do retain their value at least. Like if you went to, if you go to return or try to sell uh, your Criterion, you probably could make like, the 20 bucks or whatever a Barnes and Noble price is on a Blu-ray less for a mm-hmm. DVD. But yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's, it's kind of crappy for uh, more people because probably more people were streaming this stuff before and now they're just not going to watch this stuff at all. And uh, when you hear how like Netflix has so little um, like old content, like pre-1990 stuff, it's like probably mm-hmm. less than 10%, maybe even 5%. Uh, it's abysmal. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know what I think would have helped? What? If uh, Filmstruck was just, you know, anywhere on top of being only in the United States. If they had opened it up to like Canada, Europe, those uh, South African boys, those New Zealand boys, 
you know, maybe uh, maybe they would have been okay, and they wouldn't have had to have folded because they weren't making enough money allegedly. Um, but you know, I guess uh, that's their problem, anyways. That's why they're closing because they didn't figure it out. But hey, don't worry. Guillermo del Toro and Edgar Wright got a petition going to save Filmstruck, and I'm sure that'll really persuade the executives to keep it around. Mm-hmm. They're going to go, the directors of Shape of Water and Baby Driver want to save this? What? <laughs> yeah, because uh, once it was announced, they were uh, really hot on how they, uh, they use the service every day and mm-hmm. how it's just a tragedy. And, you know, it does suck, but uh, as we never got it, um, I don't know. I'll never know. Well, uh, at least we've, we've got our canopy, which was kind of filling that uh, niche for us. The off-brand President's Choice version mm-hmm. of uh, Filmstruck. But you get all the same protein and uh, mm-hmm. uh, nutrients out of it. Do they have President's Choice other in other places, or is that a Canada thing? Well, that, that's uh, whoever, Loblaw. That's probably a Loblaw thing. Like oh. Bob Loblaw. Bob Loblaw is Loblock? Yeah. Nice, nice. So yeah, Filmstruck, we hardly knew ye. Yeah, not at all. But uh, yeah, bummer if you did use it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Frank Solano, he wrote in. Mm-hmm. He wrote in a, a lengthy email here. A, a history lesson on a dude named Frank. Hello, oh, Jared and RJ. I'm here for my weekly sacrifice of an email to appease the creeps gods. And this mm. week, I'm here to give you a little information on my being. So we won't be strangers by the time we get to that featured host episode. And damn it, Ooh, RJ, geez. you ruined my surprise. I was going to surprise no one by appearing on the episode of In the Mood for Love. It's a great movie, and I think that RJ will get something out of it since he seems to be a romantic, according to his favorite movies <gasps> on Letterboxd. Except oh. for Memento, maybe. But it depends on what angle you look at it, I guess. Well, mm-hmm. you know, there might be some love with, like, Teddy and uh, Lenny. I mean, I don't know. What, in Memento? Yeah. There's definitely love between those people. That's right. But we'll talk about that one day when it gets added to the Criterion Collection. That's right. And, uh, yeah, when we get to that In the Mood for Love, uh, we might have to actually watch uh, the pseudo-trilogy of these films. Are they non, they're in non- the Criterion? They're not at this but time. But it's uh, supp- supplements? It's, well, this is the middle uh, entry mm. of this just trilogy well i didn't mean to ruin the surprise i was just uh using my pattern completion abilities to uh see the future Whoa. as uh as people tried to do is that like tony stark iron man uh no he is a lot more sexual oh, i see do you do you understand he smells like boot sweat a little bit well to start as you know i'm 19 mm. I'm also Costa Rican, so I speak, write, and read Spanish. So if you ever want to start mm. a translated podcast, let me know. And hey, does this still mean that the podcast is a global phenom, considering I'm not actually from the U.S.? Absolutely. No. Absolutely. This, this, so this, if this he's from actually, Costa Rica. Yeah. This, uh, yeah, this expand, this broadens our horizon because we've already cornered the South African market. We have New Zealand wrapped up, and now we're getting into that Central America this is great. That's right. Things are, things are looking up. You know, whenever I think of Costa Rica, I think the first time I ever, like, heard of Costa Rica was from reading uh, Jurassic Park. Well, I almost fell over. Which one? The book. <laughs> no, but which Jurassic Park? The first one or the other one? Lost World? Yeah. Well, I said Jurassic Park for a reason. <laughs> well, you know, you got to specify. Well, yeah. So anyway, I remember being like Costa Rica. That's a weird name for a place. Why isn't it called it is a, Saskatchewan? Um, because we already took it. Manitoba. 
we stole the best uh, for ourselves. New Brunswick. But uh, I guess Costa Rica has all the good baseball players, though. So There you go. They, they came out on top on that one. Frank continues. I'm an avid collector, sometimes compulsive. I mostly collect movies, but I do also dabble in comics, manga, anime, and cartoons. I might know mm-hmm. something a little bit about that. I started at the ripe age of 11 with a VHS copy of First Blood that I bought for my dad. He's the kind of guy who roots for Superman because he's all-powerful and he can punch people in the space. So I learned action movies from him. I started in action and brought into horror than everything else. I currently own around 300 Blu-rays and DVDs. Not as much as Jared, but maybe one day a dude can dream. Don't mm-hmm. dream. End the nightmare. <laughs> uh as you sit on your throne of DVDs and comic books. Yeah, it's, I'm the Lord of Hell, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm a prisoner of my own hell. Uh, mm-hmm. I digress. Disappointingly, I didn't know about the Criterion Collection until recently, probably back in March of this year. That's crazy. When I was that looking happens. for a Blu-ray copy of The Thin Red Line, naturally mm-hmm. I punished myself by impulsively buying around 30 Criterions, and hopefully I can recover my bank account in the years to come. And of course, this all led me to you guys on the podcast. I was never a podcast guy until I found you guys. Now I listen to three a day when I'm working. Thanks for that, dudes. Ooh, baby. Wow, you're just chugging along. That's putting down heavy track. Yeah. I think that's enough for today. Thanks for listening. Hopefully my next email will be more about the movie stuff since that's what most people come for. Uh, though to be honest, it's nice to hear about your daily lives and random troubles. Thanks again, dudes. Mm. Also, RJ, you really should take a look at that Patreon because it seems that Jared is selling you for a nice price. And also for a certain amount of patrons, he'll subject you to a mm. screening of Salo. Be careful, bud. Jared has no mercy. Mm. I am aware of this so-called Salo pledge. Uh, I have my own ideas in mind. Uh, many that I've discussed on the show for things that I would like Jared to do. I do not have access to the Patreon page. I cannot update these things myself. But whatever I say on the podcast, take as cold hard fact. So if I've ever said this amount of money will make Jared do this, take it as fact and just go forward with that. Um, <laughs> but I got to say, uh, as always, nice hearing from a uh, new friend, Frank. Good, uh, good, good to get a little background context on what's going on with him. I believe... Uh, uh, Big Josh and old uh, Ollie, uh, they've been known to drop little snippets here and there. So mm-hmm. it's always nice to know. Um, yeah, that's cool. Uh, I just Googled Costa Rica and a Canadian arrested in Costa Rican airport with 62 heroin packets. So uh, that's some uh, diplomatic. Were they going um, in or coming out? Uh, I didn't I didn't read. Yeah, that's... I don't know how. That's the usual. So, Yep, uh, I'm just going to take it as fact from face value, and uh, there you go. There you go. Yep. Speaking of Big Josh. Ooh, shit. He's back with a a brief uh, brief email. Hey, guys, I know it's been forever since I've emailed in, but I just finished a short film I've been working on. Hopefully, you guys can see it one day. Just want to say you're doing a great job, and keep it up. Happy Halloween. Thanks, Josh. It's nice to hear from Big Josh. Yeah, send me a a Betamax of that uh, short film. I'll check it out. There you go. And finally, we got an email from the big dog himself, Lawrence Chrysak. Oh, my God. We haven't heard that name in years. <laughs> years. You know that? In, I don't think he's ever written into he the is, show. He has written in twice. Uh, one was about Mel Gibson. No, three times. One was about three, Mel okay. Gibson. I, uh, one was about... I think it was something about I was saying that I think he would like a, oh. a movie like Heavyweights or something. And he was like, hey, don't bring down my character just because 
you're the only person who likes a movie. Yeah, so I don't know if those are official emails or those uh, Facebook messages. Oh, anecdotal uh, yeah. messages. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, hard to say. Yeah, so uh, for those not in the know, Lawrence is uh, one of uh, my longtime friends since childhood. Uh, allegedly, who allegedly, he still hangs around. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. He doesn't actually watch movies or television shows. Uh, he plays a little bit of the video games. Um, and he listens. To, and he listens to this podcast to keep abreast of popular culture and the things that uh, RJ and Jarrett say to one another. Mm. But Lawrence writes in with the subject line of his email: "Student bodies." Oh, what as, about student as bodies? As per RJ's comments on the most recent Ghoul School, I will throw my hat in the ring and back him up. Student Bodies on YTV was an excellent show. Oh, nice. If you were within the 16-year-old demographic. I would mm-hmm. fall short of recommending anyone check it out, though, as that is best left to segments of the adult population who are on lists and are obligated to inform their neighbors of their current residence and registration status. Keep on creeping. Okay. Okay, so Lawrence is in green, agreeing with me, right? Yeah. Yeah, that student bodies is one of the best shows ever made. Yeah, but you probably shouldn't watch it now. Well, when did when did he revisit it? Probably not. <laughs> I don't. Oh. <laughs> is he just saying that you 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 shouldn't meet your heroes like that thing? Like you can never go home. He's saying that the people who are still into that show, they're probably pedophiles. Oh. Mm. Oh, well, I didn't mean it like that. Lawrence, see, all this is why we we screen our emails so that the the Lawrences don't get through on this thing. <laughs> I don't know. I thought Student Bodies was good. Yeah, I, I guess you. Sh- well, I don't know. I watch kids shows sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember that It's Always Sunny with the guy who looks like Dennis? Mm-hmm. Yeah, watching the Disney Channel. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Well, speaking of creeping, RJ, what, what you been creeping on? Oh, geez, I was, uh, you've totally caught me off guard here. And hey, thanks everyone for writing. Keep on writing in. It's great. Yeah, I agree. Keep on writing in. And uh, I think Lawrence should, uh, you know, do something for us. I think he's our biggest patron. Oh, okay, well, never mind. But uh, I still want him to give me free stuff. <laughs> he did. <laughs> yeah, I know he did, but I want more. Okay, anyways. Uh, what have I been creeping on? I just have three leftovers from uh, Creeptober that uh, I've been saving up. Oh, do you want to hear the the good or the... What do you want to hear first, uh, the good or the bad? You're going to give it to me anyway, so you decide. Uh, all right. Well, I uh, I teased them last week, so uh, I'll just hit you with them right now. Uh, I'll hit you with my two, two good ones. Uh, so one of my actual favorite movies of this Creeptober, Jared, was a little movie by Paul Nashie. That guy that you watched with the butt movie. Mm-hmm. Devil uh, Incarnate. So I, I don't know. I never knew this guy. This is the first movie I've seen of his. Uh, so I watched the movie Night of the Werewolf. Um, I think, did you watch this last year? Uh, yeah. Or was it last year or a year? Some, sometime in the last year or so. Because that uh, uh, Paul Nashy box set came out from Screen mm-hmm. Factory. There's actually two of them. Yeah. And I've barely so, scratched the surface of them. So I saw whenever you watch this or someone else I follow watch this, uh, I saw the poster. And I was like, cool. I was like, I'll add it to my Creeptober pool uh, for a Wolfman pick. I like to, you know, have one of each for each Creeptober if if at all possible. So this was my werewolf movie. Uh, I thought this thing was wicked cool. Um, 
first off, uh, this movie looks awesome. Uh, there's so much cool stuff going on in this thing. Like, there's lots of uh, real picturesque scenes of lady vampires like just standing around with like mist everywhere and then like red and blue light. Uh, this movie looks amazing. Um, I think the story and the plot is actually awesome. It's got everything I like. Uh, it's like it's like a jambalaya. It's got everything in there because uh, you got you have like the story of this old Hungarian witch. Uh, and she's like it starts out and she's being executed and then she has a werewolf under her control and so they get executed and then they come back and uh she is like a vampire she has a horde of vampires they also dabble in some witchcraft uh the werewolf is trying to um avoid them be played by paul nashi uh he doesn't want to be like taken over again and he the character he plays is Valdemar Daninsky, which apparently is like a real person that was executed for lichenism, I think. Yeah. Something like that. Some kind of old witch witch tale. Uh, So you have like them fighting and then you have uh, you have like these foxy ladies who are scientists uh, in the background (laughs) investigating. And they're always like, we are scientists. Uh, I got a couple pretty awesome screen caps. They're at like a, a poolside and there's these really buff dudes and they're like, you broads are way too hot to be into science. Why don't you come rub oil on our muscles? Oh, yeah. And they're like, we don't deserve this. We are scientists. Uh, I thought that was really good. This movie has awesome like lines. Like the way people talk to each other in this movie is awesome. I can't. Um, I'm too far removed from it now because I watched it like two, three weeks ago. But uh, I think I'm doing pretty good so far. Um, it's got like it's it's kind of like just old school gothic horror but it has all the right stuff like you have a witch witchcraft you have vampires seducing people you have the werewolf uh like just going around uh killing people indiscriminately you have werewolves and vampires fighting each other you have uh what else is there um you got all sorts of good stuff uh so yeah like again it looks awesome uh, I think a lot of this movie's super screenshotable. There's so many cool um, images in it. Uh, but here's the kicker, Jared. You, this movie fucks for a lot of reasons. Uh, the one thing. So this movie's starting, and you're like at the the hanging where they they kill the witch, and then they go to kill the werewolf, and they put like this silver uh, um, mask on him. What was what was that Leonardo DiCaprio movie, The Man in the Iron Mask? Mm-hmm. You know, like that thing where it yeah. like it locks in. They put one of those on him, and then they jam a uh, silver spike into his heart. And the moment that they like hammer it into his heart, it freeze frames. And then I'm not fucking with you, Jared. The tentacles music kicks up, <laughs> and I was like, oh my god. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, tentacles. Where did this come from? And so the whole intro. Uh, it's a freeze frame on this guy in like a silver mask getting a stake into his heart. And then it's just the, the, the best part of the tentacle soundtrack, just playing and the credits go over. Uh, I was amazed. Uh, it totally caught me off guard. I wasn't (laughs) expecting it. I tried to do some research, uh, on IMDB. There is no credited composer for night of the werewolf. Uh, and neither is there on 
letterboxed. So I found like you can find the guy who did the soundtrack for Tentacles. But uh, as far as Night of the Werewolf goes, I don't know who did it. I'm sure it was the same guy or maybe. But the song's only used in that opening credits and then at the end, too. Yeah, no, I, uh, that's interesting because uh, I remember when I was watching, when I watched it, I really remember, like, the music being like, this is wicked. And it's because yep. it's the kind of period piece opening with the uh, the execution. And I was like, oh, fuck. This reminds me so much of uh, the one movie, The Church, which also kind of opens up with this, like, medieval mm. kind of, like, brutal, violent kind of thing that you know is going to set up the stuff that comes later. And then it's always like a step down because the like contemporary stuff is always just like so less interesting than like if mm-hmm. it was like a period piece. Um, yep. but. So yeah, like everyone I follow on Letterboxd is pretty warm on this, like three, three and a half stars. Yeah. Um, and I get it. Like there's a couple, there's a couple dips where uh, like there's one sequence where he's kind of like running around the town killing people but it's mostly just shots of Paul Nashy just running. And you're like, uh, you're like, we could have done without this part. But, uh, I don't know. I was really, uh, I was really impressed with the, um, I, I love the story. That's exactly the kind of stuff I like, like all of them in there together. Uh, I, and it looks, it looks great. So night of the werewolf, uh, was uh, super impressive. I think people should check it out. Yeah. The other thing too, is like when you start watching these, uh, Nashy movies, is like these werewolf ones. Cause there's like, ugh seven of them or 10 of mm-hmm. them and they're all him that's mm-hmm. like his legendary character is his werewolf um but like they always open up like these like yeah american or like british uh tourists that go to the old castle hill and they they mm-hmm. run afoul of some rapist villagers who are always mm-hmm. meeting them no good um as they are rapists uh but uh, they always like open up the same you're like oh come on really you're doing this again again it's like the exact oh, okay. it's like it's like the same beat where it's like oh i'm driving up my car my car breaks down and then they get some merge from like the ditch and it's like ah uh, nashy rapists like that's just what and then they oh, okay. and then they get like maybe they do a little bit of like no goodness and then they get dispatched by the werewolf yeah. Um, but it's always like, okay, why? Okay, yeah, I can see that being uh, taxing if you've seen it a bunch. But uh, as the only one I've seen, uh, I was like, yeah, I was like, I like this. This is cool. This is cool. What else you got? Uh, you ever heard of Street Trash, Jarrett? I'm I'm familiar with Street Trash. So Street Trash is a movie you've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the reason I watched it was because a friend of the show, Ryan Nagel, uh, had this in his creep list. And he was like, you should watch Street Trash too. And I was like, all right, I'll check out this Street Trash. Uh, from this guy named James M. Morrow, uh, who it looks like never did anything else. Yeah, he's just like a, he was like a steady cam operator. Mm. And he made yeah. this one movie. And what a uh, movie. And what a movie. Have you uh, seen the movie, other movies from the writer Roy Frumkiss? Uh, like the Meltdown memoirs, no, and Substitute Two, uh, Schools Out. I have not seen uh, that. Ooh, this movie looks pretty good. It's got Treat Williams as yes, the substitute. Sure does. Uh, B.D. Wong is in here. That's pretty cool. Uh, and then what's his other movie? The Johnsons. That looks pretty pretty rad too, actually. So I'm gonna check out this Johnsons. Well, we're Street Trash. Uh, so I think you talked about Street Trash before. Yeah. I don't know if it was on Google School or if it was on this one, but... I'm often talking about Street Trash. Yeah, you've brought up Street Trash a couple times. Uh, So in case anyone doesn't know, Street Trash follows uh, a lovable group of hobos that live at, uh, like, the car dump or... What what is that called? No, it's the dump. 
there's cars at the dump. Yeah. yeah so they like live at the dump. Car wreck kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Auto wreckers. Auto wrecker. Yeah. They live in like, yeah. yeah, it's, it's fucking rotten apple, New York, like peak, yeah. peak rotten apple. Yeah. So maybe uh, big Josh can let us know about how rotten. Uh, yeah, do the, his, uh, do the street, is. do the street trash tour. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you, you follow this group of hobos as they kind of like, they're all trying to get a, like find a dollar here or there. And they're all trying to buy alcohol. Buy booze. Yeah. So the whole, the whole like point of this movie is these hobos are like always running around trying to get like their hands on a Mickey of whatever they can. Yeah. Uh, there is the one liquor store owner who, uh, just had it with these fucking bums. He hates them. They stink up the place. Mm -hmm. They come in, they steal stuff. He's had it. Uh, at the auto wreckers, you have a nice, uh, a nice lady who's trying to take care of some of the, the kids who are the homeless people there, but her boss played by a gigantic man. Uh, I don't know what his name is. Well, I, I have him tagged on mine. Uh, we is have, it Vic Noto? Uh, I can't remember. I, I, I've kept track of the movies I've seen him in because he's like kind mm -hmm. of a trauma regular and he is a, he strikes a quite the figure. He's got a figure. All right. So he's this gigantic greasy man. Uh, he does some, uh, some stuff. Uh, so you follow them. Uh, what happens is the liquor store owner uncovers for like no reason. He goes down into his warehouse, removes a panel from the wall and pulls out like an old box of booze. And he's like, Oh, I wonder how long these have been here. I'm going to sell them. And I can't, I can't remember what it's called now. It's like Viper yeah. or yeah, something that like that. Right. And, uh, so he like, finds his booze he goes to sell it uh some of the hobos start drinking this stuff and what happens when they drink it their bodies either explode or uh as you guys put it uh they go into the body melt so they will their bodies just slowly melt away um which so, is pretty cool so the fat guy pat pat ryan uh mm. who's in such films as toxic avenger Street Trash, yeah. Class of Newcomb High, and mm. a film that you watched but probably don't remember at all because you were pretty uh, drunk at that point at Corey's house, Fighting Back. He's not credited to as in Fighting Back. But he was in it because I remember when we were watching it, and I went, oh, shit, it's Pat Ryan. You were like, Bleh. Plus, I take offense to uh, this pretty drunk thing. I'm never pretty drunk. I know exactly where I am all the time, uh, man. You were like, whatever, two six-packs deep uh, after watching uh, whatever wrestling show wrestling it was. Man. Yeah, and see, uh, and then I never got invited back. So uh, yeah. it is what it is, I guess. But yeah, that guy is a uh, unfortunate man. He has a, a look, but uh, there you go. So we got hobos. They're melting here. They're melting there. Um there are certain things about street trash that I love. Some of the hobo dynamics. Uh, the one uh, African-American hobo, hobo who goes grocery shopping. Uh, I really loved that scene. I thought it was super funny. He's like just putting everything in his uh, huge like hazmat pants. Uh, like he's just finding like pieces of meat, like old st or like steaks. He throws them in a couple eggs can of beans like whatever he's just kind of like robbing the place and when he get, gets asked to leave he's like all in a huff he's like man fuck this place so he's walking out and then what he does jared is there's like a huge brown paper bag to bag groceries he puts it on his head and then he walks through the glass window of the grocery store and then just keeps walking down the street uh and i thought that was uh amazing it was a power play and uh it worked 
Speaking, it was impressive. Speaking of alcoholism. Speaking of alcoholism, right. Yeah, so this movie spoke to me for those reasons. Uh, the body melt stuff is pretty wicked. This movie's got killer effects. And the colors. Uh, yeah, it's that. that's the big thing. Like, So you have like the gray backdrop, and then when their bodies melt, it's like purple and yellow and green and like neon. And it's, uh, it's such a nice contrast between the two. It's so bright and... Uh, lively uh so the body melts are awesome the guy who gets flushed down the toilet i think is the uh the uh the best melt uh the guy who kind of melt explodes near the side of a wall that guy's pretty rad too mm-hmm. uh i like street trash i think it's pretty good i know you weren't sure what i was gonna think of street trash as infamously i am not always into the dirty movies but I thought Street Trash was pretty good. There, however, there were a few things I didn't like about Street Trash. Uh, I think they give too much time to the Rambo hobo. So there's like a, the, a hobo. Yeah, what? like the self-declared king of the hobos, the villain. The ki- yeah, the villain. Uh, he's got. He's like a Vietnam vet. Yeah. And uh, they flash back a lot to Vietnam. Um, and like he's cool, but I thought they gave him more time than he he needed and i was like all right i'm kind of whatever uh and then there is uh there were some other things like um that really big fat guy uh when he finds a corpse and he just drags it by the ankle uh and then then in the next scene you see him zipping up his fly uh yeah so that that was a little gross yep but uh (laughs) this movie also has a guy's dick falls off and they uh throw it around for a while so that was cool Mm -hmm. but uh yeah no uh, street trash is pretty good there was a lot of stuff i liked there were a few things I didn't like, but uh, I think on the whole, on the butthole, it was a pretty good show. Wow. What do you have to think of it, say about Street Trash? Uh, yeah, Street Trash rules. Uh, it delivers on its title and its premise and the hope. Uh, whenever I go into watching these like dirty 80s trashy movies, this is what I want. This is exactly what I want. And it's one of those movies that actually uh, delivers on my hopes and dreams, uh, which is nice. There's like a bunch. There's a few other like these melt movies, but they're never they're never quite as good as Street Trash ever. But mm-hmm. I'll take it. I'll watch it again, over and over again. It's like really well shot. Uh, these they have these like amazing like Steadicam shots and like uh, right. And it's for a movie called Street Trash, this movie's got great cinematography. Um, yeah, it does. And yeah, the writing is like crude and stupid and funny, like actually funny. And uh, yeah, people yeah. should check it out. Watch that trash. Yeah, you should watch that street trash. You want to hear about a, a trash movie? Absolutely. All right, Jared. So this has got to be like this has got to be my most hated movie from Creeptober. Uh, is it the worst? No, there was definitely movies that were like way worse, like the Hobgoblins movies and uh, some of that other garbage that I was watching. They're, those are definitely way worse movies. But uh, this Funny Games by Michael Haneke uh is got to be one of the worst movies i've ever seen um is it a competently well put together movie sure is it like was it was it dark and edgy when it came out i'm sure it was uh is it also total horseshit yes it is uh so i won't i know you've said that this will likely be a criterion movie one day there is a Uh, very good chance i will be long dead before we ever get to that (laughs) point so it won't matter but, uh, yeah, this movie sucks, man. I really didn't like it. Uh, so it's like the home invasion stuff is fine. Uh, What's this movie about for uh, The Uninformed? I believe it's directed by one Michael Haneke. 
Yeah, I said that. <laughs> Not listening. Okay. So this funny games. So you have this. What, uh, what year? 1997. Yeah, not to be confused with the uh, remake. The shot-for-shot shot American remake from the same director. Yeah, I love The Vanishing. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, so, funny games, you have this family. Um, it's like a dad, a mom, and a little boy who's like 12, 13. They go out to like their lake house for the weekend. Uh, just, you know, to kick back, relax. So, they go to their, their cabin house. They're, uh, the dad and the boy are getting the uh the little boat ready to go out on the lake and the mom's cooking up some some breakfast and uh she gets like a knock on the door and uh it's a young man he's like 25 maybe and she's like uh she's like what do you need bud and he's like oh i'm with the neighbors i'm just like visiting uh they uh they were asking if you had like any eggs or something so she like gets some and but the dude's being like real weird and awkward and like kind of in her space and won't leave and she's kind of weirded out by him. Uh, so she, like, gets him set up to go. And then he, like, he drops everything, makes a mess. And she's like, all right, well, just go. And he's he's like, well, why are you being so rude to me? He's like, "What? why Why are you yelling at me? Like, tell me to leave. I just came over to help. Like, just get some stuff. And she gets, like, real weirded out by it. And so she, like, starts yelling at him to go. And then uh, his a friend of his comes and knocks on the door. And he's like, hey, why are you being so shitty to my friend? We were just... We were just sent over by the neighbors. We we're trying to help you out. Uh, and then the dad and the little boy come back to the house, and the mom's freaking out. And dad's like, what's wrong, baby? And she's like, these little fuckers just came into the house. They won't leave. So dad's like, all right, guys, let's get out of here. And then uh, what they do is they hit the dad in the leg with a golf driver, like smash his leg up real good. He can't walk. And uh, it turns into a home invasion movie where these two guys uh, – just kind of like torment and torture these people they beat up the dad they make the mom get naked they make them like sit together and listen to them while they're all highfalutin about uh philosophical things or this or that they just make them listen to them and it's all part of their game they're funny games Jarrett. you see uh so like that's kind of the movie you have some things where it's like the little boy runs away and then he comes back uh one reason i really don't like this movie is because i'm pretty confident that they killed the dog for real for the movie that's what it looks like at least and so it's like immediately stuff like that i find i just dislike because come on it's just it's a shitty movie anyways like why would you need to do that uh so that looks real uh, I tried to look it up. There's no information on whether it happened or not, which makes me feel like it did happen. Because mo- usually when uh, they don't do it, they uh, they state that they don't. Um, but so the thing about this movie that I really disliked is the gimmick, the uh, breaking the fourth wall Deadpool style gimmick that this movie uh, enlists uh, near the ending. And I could see like, I can see why it was probably popular and like made a big splash and I can see why people probably love it. Uh, but I think it's super lame, lazy and unnecessary. And I think it's like, it's, I think it's totally bogus. I won't say what it is when you watch it, you'll know. But I was like, ah, like I didn't, I wasn't totally on board with this movie for the first two thirds. And then when that part happened, I was totally checked out. I was like, fuck this movie. I don't care. This movie is lame, and uh, I think it's pretty bad. So I don't know. A lot of people really like this movie, but uh, 
I uh, I think that thing is just total garbage. I don't know. What do you think? I haven't seen this movie. Oh. Um, it's been on my to watch, I guess, for like a while. It's mm-hmm. like because sometimes pops up on like top one hundred horror films, and it's like one of the sure. few I haven't watched because it's like mm, borderline not really a horror film. It's like a Michael Haneke movie, which deals yep. with like reality and like mm-hmm. that sort of horror, I suppose. Uh, and I've always been like, uh, I want to be in the right mood to watch this because I've seen the remake, um, yep. and it didn't really leave. It was like a well-made movie. It's a Michael Haneke thing, uh, yeah. and some of his movies I've liked quite a bit. Um, they're always like really well crafted and stuff like that, but. I, I don't know. I just haven't really gone on my way to watch funny games. I've got it. I've got the DVD set that well, Kino put out. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that uh, like the remake is shot for shot. So pretty like, much. But I guess is like, there, and is actually, there a scene with a remote control? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, so that, we'll, all that all that stuff's the same. So like, what do you think about that? Are you on board with that? or I, I kind of knew it was coming Like, because yeah. people always complain about Either people love it or they hate it. And so I've yeah. heard about it before going in. And when it hit, I just kind of went, oh, that's what the scene is. And I, it didn't mm-hmm. phase me. I was just kind of like, oh, that's what that is. Um, but like, it's the, I don't know, the, 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 the mm-hmm. film criticism or like meta narratives, whatever. Uh, it didn't bug me one mm-hmm. way or another. But it's been a while since I watched that too. Um, yeah. so I'm, I'm curious, uh, when it does become part of the collection, cause they've been putting out those, uh, Haneke films that are in that Kino set, uh, a little here, a little there. So it's probably inevitable. They'll get there maybe even by Halloween of next year. Hmm. Maybe even like in, uh, eight days, uh, they'll announce it coming out and I'll go, look, RJ. <laughs> I hope, uh, that never happens. I'm, um, I'm actually reading a thing about, uh, the, uh, remake, uh, the 2008 one. Uh, mm-hmm. about the the dog and how they handled it and it describes as uh the production provided documentation that a dead dog in an SUV was fake. Uh okay, there, so there, was, there was some I don't know maybe uh which leads me to Belgium, believe Belgium plays by different rules but uh uh-huh. yeah because them like there's there's no nothing that says anything about whether or not it really happened, which makes me think that they did it for real. I well, I don't know. It, I, it well, it's, looks, it's, it's like the it weird looks thing with real, like. Jared. I mean, I, I'm sure it does. I'm sure that's uh-huh. like. The, I'm sure that was the intention. But uh, I have a hard time to believe that like actors on the set of this because this movie's like not that old. This right? Mm-hmm. It's like this is like 90s. P- people are were. Uh, woke to you know not killing dogs um yeah, but, but the italians do it all the well, time yeah, i mean because the they're they're italians i mean mm. they got to make those, mm. the meat they got to make meatballs somehow oh jared oh i know jared. and so uh anyway yeah i don't know i i'd want to i'd have to watch it and see for myself because sometimes rj I, I believe you uh see things and uh and you well, and you want to and you believe what you see go right ahead and watch it then I, I'd be. I'd love to hear your input on this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh well, you will in like eight hundred weeks. <laughs> it's not gonna get into the. If this movie gets added into the Criterion, I'm gonna bail. It, 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 it'll be coming. just like WWE going to Saudi Arabia. I'll I'll, I'll <laughs> add it. Okay, all those people left uh, because of that, and you know what? I think I I'll, I'll take my stand with the uh, like John Criterion. Cena and, and Daniel Bryan. Yeah, they should add a real movie to the Criterion Collection, like uh, Freddy Got Fingered or something. Or Happiness. Oh, or, no, I don't want that either. Or maybe Gummo. 
There's going to be a lot of movies I don't watch if they uh, ever get added. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't wait for Those you. bad movies. Pink Flamingos, baby. Oh, I'll watch that one. <laughs> Anything else? That's it? Uh, yeah, that's all I watched. All right. Unless you want to hear about TV shows, but no, we got a lot of mail this week. We so. did. Um, so here's a couple of uh, ding danglers, dinglers uh, from uh, the from Halloween from mm-hmm. October. Uh, a couple of British TV movies uh, that I read about Ooh. and didn't watch, and then I did, and I was like, "Whoa, these are better than most of the movies I watched all last month." Um, mm. First up uh, is this one called Moraine. Uh, it is based on a Nigel or Nigel Neal, the guy who wrote like Quatermass Experiment and uh, mm-hmm. inspired like in the uh, Prince of Darkness, uh, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Sure. Uh, so this is just like a it's like an hour long. It's part of like a, a against the crowd. It was like a BBC or British television show, and they would just do these like short stories. And this is <laughs> one that's kind of like horror-ish. So what this follows is a veterinarian who's like gone out on call from council, one of the, all those mm-hmm. fancy little British terms. Um, and he goes to this little small community because there's like a outbreak of some sort of illness in pigs. So he goes and he meets a bunch of like your typical Northern Englishmen who are very like odd looking and unintelligible in their English speaking skills and mm-hmm. lots of gumboots uh, like that we saw mm-hmm. also in with Neil and I. And mm-hmm. uh, they're like, of course, like making these comments about how the pigs are sick and they're convincing this John Lennon-ish looking uh, veterinarian that there's something amiss, something a little off. And mm-hmm. uh, they, they're blaming this old woman who they believe uh, is is doing some witchery on the, the community. Oh, she's kind of old. Um, like Jared old? Uh, twice the Jared. Twice the Jared. She's 280? Yeah. So... Oh. Um, so they just start like pointing out to all these weird things, like the water drying up. The one kid, he's like mm. got fever, and he's like he's had it for like three, four weeks. And they call the doctor in, but the doctor didn't do anything, and they haven't bothered to call mm. him again. And they're like, oh, the doctor's not going to do anything about it. He's like, of course he's going to do something. You can't just leave this kid to get, keep getting sicker <laughs> and sicker. So like the first half is just like them trying to convince him. It, it's like very British mm-hmm. and like tell made for TV kind of pacing and like kind of quiet and still, but it's very mm-hmm. weirdly tense. Like this is just on YouTube. So anyone can just watch this uh, right now. And um, I totally would watch it. Cause it's like, I don't know. I was like pretty like, I felt I was feeling the tension through my uh, uh, PC screen. Where um, were you feeling the tension? Which part of your body? Uh, shoulders. Not, not the pants. The, the, no, not that kind of tension. It's not, uh, not my kind of movie. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, then you get uh, introduced to the, uh, old lady and you kind of find out maybe this old lady's got motivation to be doing some, some witchery involving mm. what happened to her cat. Um, and, <gasps> uh, so maybe this is the case where you'd be rooting for, uh, the witch and, and mm. these, these horrible people. Uh, yeah. So this is like a, it's like an hour long, uh, very effective spooky ghost story. Maybe save it for, uh, next Halloween. Uh, I think mm. it's. Don't a, tell me what to do. Fine. That's that's what I do on this podcast. I tell people what to do. Give us money. Watch movies mm-hmm. I say are good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, never mind. Disregard that. Yeah. Uh, then the next one I watched uh, is also part of a, like some BBC series called Dead of Night. And apparently not very many of these episodes survived because BBC had this bad habit of like reusing tapes and just like taping over stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so this one, though, is called uh, The Exorcism. 
and it's from 1972, so before The Exorcist came along. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a again another like made for TV, very like stripped down story of just these like four people, two couples, kind of going for a Christmas dinner out of this old cottage that one of them bought for cheap, and they've kind of updated just for this dinner essentially, and they're just commenting about their day to day lives. Um, and, uh, they settle in to try eating and, uh, weird things start happening and, uh, it kind of just starts turning into kind of a political polemic about, uh, class and, uh, the abuse of poor people historically. And then it just Mm kind of keeps building and building. So the first time I watched this, uh, was Monday and I absolutely fell asleep for like probably 20 minutes in watching this because it's like, it has this low video hum throughout it and there's no mm-hmm. sound more that like makes me fall asleep than just that sound. Um, and so I just like kind of like, zonked out and I kind of woke up and I was like, what's going on? And like, I don't, I don't know. So I had to rewatch it and I did. And I'm really mm-hmm. glad I did because yeah, the, when it starts getting into like the spookiness, it's very low key, but very effective. And they just build it up in the right way that they don't go too crazy with it. And it just keeps like, Oh, it, there's reasons why they're in this house, why they can't leave the house, uh, why things are happening, and what happens is like really like understated and horrifying in this really nice. Uh, I think I just put it the other week, like, kind of like a nova a novella. It has a nice kind of um, poeticness to it, but also like really really good. I've been uh, having really good luck with these uh, weird little British horror TV movies from like 40 years ago. Mm. Mm. And again, all available on YouTube. Hmm. Well, you you make a list of the good ones, and no, I'll no, maybe watch them. That's what I'm doing. I'm working my way through these uh, the ones that are recommended because you know some of them are like fine, and other ones are like really cool, like this one. Mm-hmm. Um, last thing I'll talk about. Um, this is a film called Pieces of Talent. So this came on my radar because uh, someone I recently started following on Letterboxd, I was kind of skimming their five-star movies, and this movie was on there, and I was like, what the fuck? What is this movie? So I'm mm-hmm. like, well, uh, I, I like this dude's other movies that are five stars for the most part. I'll maybe I'll give this one a try and uh, find out if it's actually good or not. And it's not good. It's not good at all. So what this is, it's a independent film from 2012, 2014 or something like that. Uh, and it's about this young woman and her mom making their way in their in the world today. And uh, that's just like your A plot, your B plot. And then you've got uh, a serial killer story that's unfolding. But so the serial killer is this like, goofball ginger redheaded guy who's like just i don't know everything about this screams independent film mm-hmm. uh it's like not a badly made movie for the most part but it definitely shows that it is like a movie made for like you know probably under ten thousand dollars which i guess it's impressive to make a movie at all for like that little money but i don't know there's like issues in it where you're like just scenes literally just cut to another scene and you're just like what the hell just happened like what you're just like you're, you know that there's like mm-hmm. that that connective tissue uh that's just missing like they just didn't make it they didn't want to write it or they shot stuff and it was really bad and they just like oh you don't need that anyway keep the movie short and they just cut it out but you're watching you're like no there's something really seriously missing here um so it's kind of like a gore movie kind of like a low budget gore movie where this like serial mm-hmm. killer guys like killing these 
people and like but he's like supposed to be creepy and weird because he's really smiley and polite when he does it and he's just killing them out on this property in the middle of nowhere and there's times where he's like bathing in a basin of blood and staring off into space but then it's like but he's really smiley and cheery when he's talking with people and he meets this girl because her mom's always away and she's like wow this guy's like a filmmaker and uh he really uh he really wants to cast me in something we can work together that'd be really cool even though it's like all signs should be pointing to no this man is not what he's saying and you should probably just not be cool with him but it's like it speaks to her desperation <laughs> but it's like no nah, I, I don't i'm not buying this and of course she works at like this like strip club <laughs> which is Ooh. just like yeah and it's just like but she's like a waitress at the strip club and yeah i don't know this thing is like just bad for the most part i have no idea why someone would be super excited about it uh hmm. but sometimes you know when you when you're the first person to come across one of these things maybe at a film festival and you have the you have maybe the right audience it's just like wow that was really really good but then like hmm. then when it comes out into the rest of the world um then people go oh that's it and then you go Ew. I've seen it happen all the time, actually, with these sort of things, but I don't know. I've heard a lot of people say the same about you. I think you say that often. Well, has it sunk in yet, Jarrett? <laughs> Jokes. Uh, well, it's good. Um, I like when you watch bad movies and then I don't have to. Yeah, that's, hey, that's, uh, that's what this is all about. Someone's got to go out there. Yeah. Someone's got to go see uh, the, uh. The, 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 the Halloweens. And the, yes. the pieces of talent. Yeah, we both pick up the slack. You watch that old shit. I watch that new shit. And that's hopefully other people learn Yeah, from our horrible mistakes. Yeah, well, that's it for me for uh, for right now. But mm-hmm. hey, RJ, you, you, got any, you got any news for us? They're going to reboot Shrek. Oh, <laughs> that, that's, does, that wasn't what I was expecting. Does that uh, upset you? Nope. Oh. Would, would you describe yourself as a Shrek head? You know, I feel like, so Shrek's been really popular in the last couple of years, and uh, I think Shrek, the first movie, is actually pretty good. Yeah. I'm not, I don't think, I like that first Shrek, but not for the ironic reasons that a lot of people now like Shrek, it seems. So. Do, do people, is it just because of the, the yes. smash mouth? I think it's, well, no, Shrek gets brought up quite a bit, man. I see Shrek like almost daily on Twitter or oh. Reddit. I'm I, not kidding. I want to live in that world where you see Shrek every day. <laughs> yeah. See, well, I, I, people can email in. Shrek is a huge thing right now. So, I, I know, uh, uh, I know a listener of the show, uh, Mike, uh, definitely is a Shrek man. A Shrek man? Yeah. They're, they're out there. They're out there. Hey, did you ever, uh, know that Chris Farley was going to be Shrek? And then he killed himself. Well, not intentionally. <laughs> there was test footage of, uh, Chris Farley doing the Shrek voice. Oh. You should check it out. Sure. That, that sounds believable. Yeah. That, that would have been different. It wor- sure would have. He didn't change his voice or anything. He, he was just Chris just Farley. Chris Farley yeah. Not, not, yeah. not a Mike Myers Scottish. Yep. Not uh, Mike Myers' dad from uh, So I Married an Axe Murderer. Yeah. Hey, when are you going to watch that movie? Mm. No. <laughs> I think I tried watching it once. I wasn't having it. Whatever. Do you have uh, any news? Yeah, I got two slivers. Uh, first up, there's uh, talk of uh, Vince Gilligan making a Breaking Bad sequel film. I heard. Uh, number, do you want? Number, do you want me to say my opinion? Um, no. But uh, okay. how, how how do you feel about uh, Breaking Bad? Were you a Breaking Badman? 
I was actually. I watched uh, watched every episode on TV as they aired. Wow. Yeah. I uh, I too. I, I didn't come to it till probably after probably season three was on yep. by the time I got to it because I remember uh, my experience with it was that first season was constantly playing. It seemed on like Superstation or whatever it was, mm-hmm. and uh, or I guess AMC, right? And it was yep. always on, and I was like, and it was always like this bald man in his underpants in front of a trailer, staring mm-hmm. around in the desert. And it seemed like it was like the one episode they keep playing over and over and over again. I guess he yeah, wasn't. They, he, oh yeah, he wasn't bald yet. That's right. Not yet. Um, but I was just like, what is this? Like this show just seems fucking stupid. And then I just never thought about it until like people started saying, no, Breaking Bad's awesome. And then I was like, well. Whatever. I, I still have free time in my life. So, I, you know, and this first season was like mm-hmm. dirt cheap. And I watched it and I went, oh, well, that's pretty good. Then I watched season two and I was like, whoa, this show is awesome. And then I was I was hooked like everybody else was yep. for those uh, six years. And then six. They, had, they had like a writer's strike somewhere. Or was it the beginning? The, yeah. Well, there was the gap year where season five was in two. But that's actually, that's just an AMC thing they do now. Yeah, that's the new thing to spread it out, to make that moolah. Yeah. Just like uh, HBO Mad did Man. recently. Uh, yep. It has been doing, but uh, yeah. So, I mean, I was like pretty into breaking bad. I thought uh, mm-hmm. it had a pretty okay conclusion. It, it went where you expected it to, but uh, now I kind of hate breaking bad and the idea of it, even though it's like, cause I, there's still, still people who like are into it in the worst ways possible. <laughs> like there's like merchandise and uh-huh. like the, 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 the t- oh, just t-shirts and it's like, fuck it's not that type of show. It's like a crime show. Why are mm-hmm. people, oh, I don't know. It's like a, it's like watching somebody walking around with like a butta bing shirt still here in 2018. No, you know what it is? The perfect analogy, Jared, Scarface fans. Mm, the people yeah. who love Scarface <laughs> are the same people who love Breaking Bad. And you know why? For the wrong reasons, because it glorifies and it makes like what they do. Okay. Because you're like, yeah, I love snorting Coke and making mm. crystal meth. <laughs> And it's like, that's why I love Breaking Bad. That's a little extreme, but uh, I do think it's the same. It's the same people, right? It's it's the Scarface Fight Club, guys. Uh, I, I agree with you. Um, those fans, extreme fans are trying to take away something that I, that I really enjoy. Uh, I love Breaking Bad. I always thought that I think it's season two is like one of the best seasons of television ever when it's like with Kirsten Ritter and uh, Aaron Paul. Like his girlfriend. Oh yeah, and then uh, when Walt only? makes, oh yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. When Walt makes his big decision, I think that is like one of the best moments in TV ever. So uh, I was a big Breaking Bad guy, uh, and Better Call Saul is pretty cool. I haven't watched it all, but uh, I enjoy it. Yeah, I don't think we need a movie. No, it's too. Late, I don't man. think we need. Yeah, I don't think we need to go back. I uh, I was skeptical when they announced Better Call Saul. I was like, we don't need any more. We already have Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Fine. So, uh, but Better Call Saul worked out, I guess. So, yeah, I watched maybe only the would too, first but... season of Better Call Saul, and it was good. Yep. And then I don't know. I just like that's kind of like where I probably dropped off watching television shows for the most part. Yep. You know? I would like to watch it one day, but uh, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think we'd probably be fine without. Yep. Uh, my other big news here is uh, I just found out that Harmony Corinne has a movie coming out next uh, year. I told you about this like a year ago, you idiot. Well, I, I didn't know it was coming out next year. And it's like coming. With, uh, Matthew McConaughey. Have you seen the photo? I have. Uh, there's There was some reason I was talking about this on the show. I brought it up like, 
I don't know. If Frank is re-listening to these episodes, maybe he can pinpoint it. It was like nine months ago. I swear to God. I brought it up to you and you know did, what you did, said? Did you show me the photo of this though? No, there were no photos well, released at now that you, point. But why didn't you send me this photo? Huh? Because there were no photos released at that point. Well, why didn't you send me in the meantime? You just said you've seen it. And now you're oh. like, oh, fuck you, Jared. I don't need to tell you about this. Uh, you know why? Why? Because fuck you, Jared. Yeah, see? I told you. It's all yeah. lies. House of lies here. Well, someone will. Is it just a picture of him, the Guy Fieri one with the flame shirt? You betcha. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Spring Breakers, awesome. Gummo, awesome. I've never seen Spring Breakers. Oh, it's good. Uh, you it's say that twigs. about all his movies. No, that's not true. Um, Julian Donkey Boy, not so great. Uh, Mr. Lonely, not so great. But uh, Trash Humpers, man, that's a that's a treat. You'd hate that. Oh, man. I'm sure I would. You'd fucking hate that movie so much. What about <laughs> David Blaine Magic Man? I, I, uh, I don't know if I've, I might have seen that. I always, mm. I, I, get, I always get confused about what David Blaine stuff I've seen. It's been so long since anyone ever talked about him. Uh, people are talking about him right now. Literally He's in this right new now. Harmony Koran movie. Um, <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, that's it. Um, so that's exciting. Something something to live for. That and uh, whenever the hell The Favorite comes out, uh, Yorgos' new movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, it'll come out, and then we will get it when it is released on Blu-ray. Yep. Uh, yeah, because I, I, we're still waiting for uh, Suspiria to come out. To, we're not going to get Suspiria. I think I think it'll come to the second-run theater. Hey, maybe it'll even be in the theater on Friday. Have you checked? Have you looked? Hmm? Uh, I'm on here right now, and you know what, Jer? It looks like n- no, we no, are not getting not, it. Not at the Galaxy. All right, but, then. But you know what we are getting? Yeah, but we never got Shape of Water there either until like way later. No. Until after like one already. Yeah. Or I think it was like a week out. And yeah. then, then it's just to hold up uh, Movie Mill getting it for like a week. Mm-hmm. Theater Fuck. politics. Yep. 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 Anyways, that it? Uh, Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, we have uh, a certain Italian film to talk about. By the Italian. Dario Argento? Yep. Lucio Fulci? The, the, yeah, his little brothers. Nick Pellegrini. Yep. Shklop. Huh? Eight and a half coming at you. Eight and a half what? This is a dirty smile I'm making right now. Loretta. Broke my heart in a letter She told me she was leaving and her life would be better Joe broke it off over the phone After the tone, she left me alone Jen said she'd never ever see me again When I saw her again, she said it again Jen met another man Lisa got amnesia, just forgot who I am Felicity said there was no electricity Emily no chemistry Friend Rand Who's turned out to be a man Flow had to go I couldn't go with the flow Carol Brown Just took a bus out of town But I'm hoping that you'll stick around He doesn't cook or clean He's a good boy from material Ooh, he can eat cereal You lose interest 
hands from the past. He says he'll do one thing and then he goes and does another thing. Oh, you organize all of my ex-girlfriends into a choir and got them to sing. Shut up Shut up girlfriends from the past Maybe will no longer see me Brittany Brittany hit me è tutto pronto vedrai che costerà pochissimo su dammi un bacetto sporcaccione eh no è lei costello intervieni metti pace più violenza non... brava Sandrocchia ecco brava vieni
And we're back. This is the Criterion Creeps podcast, and tonight we're talking about Eight and a Half from 1963, directed by Federico Fellini. The tagline of the film from Letterboxd, a picture that goes beyond what men think about, because no man ever thought about it in quite this way. And and RJ, the synopsis for Eight and a Half off Letterboxd. With Eight and a Half, Federico Fellini leaves a self-portrait where dreams and reality are a mix. With help from a most excellent cast and unique scenery, this self-reflecting film is one of his masterworks. That's a great description of this movie. Yeah, and you know the IMDb one is like also quite vague. It's like man struggles to work on his next film. <laughs> this is like it's it's oh. not like an ambiguous plot. Like it's pretty straightforward. It, yeah, like when you strip it down, it's a pretty straightforward idea with some flights it, of fancy thrown in. But it seems like people don't know how to talk plain. It seems people don't know how to talk plain. Yeah, it, seems, it seems he says. Yeah. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> So, this is my first rewatch in many years. Um, mm. I, I I remember there was a period in my life, RJ, where I watched this movie quite a lot. Um, and what do you can you explain what you mean by quite a lot? Like you watched it once a week? You watched it uh, like every year? At least like maybe like there was a period of time where I was probably watching this every few weeks. Wow, mm-hmm. why? Uh, like not for like years, but I'm talking about like there was like a several month period where I was like watching this movie. It was like, it was in the conversation uh, with uh, <gasps> friends of mine who were mm-hmm. all, we were all like obsessed about watching and finding movies that were about filmmaking. And so, and this, you could, you, you could have watched video violence. That's a movie about filmmaking. I, I didn't know it existed. Oh, <laughs> I was well. too, I was too highfalutin as a child. Yeah. Um, but so anyway, so it's been a while since I watched this and like over the years, like I was kind of always in my mind thinking like, eh, this movie isn't anything special. Like it's like at some point, like when you haven't watched something that you remember being, oh, it was really good. And then you just don't watch it and you kind of don't think about it. And you're like, ah, that movie's probably not that great anymore. Um, mm-hmm. So this was my first watch also on watching this with a 16 by nine television. Uh, Cause I remember watching this on my old uh, CRT screen. Um, and there's like the one scene where like the, um, uh, one film critic is in the room waiting for um, Guido to finish up with his treatment. Mm-hmm. And there's like those like black, uh, black and white striped lines behind him on that old CRT monitor. It would be like all weird, like mosaic kind of pattern going on. And I was like, what the fuck's wrong with the disc? There's something wrong with that. That should just be black and white. But it was like some weird, just like, like weird uh, Hertz per second refresh rate gimmick thing and that was a problem with the laser disc it was a problem with the monitor itself and i remember being like Mm. whenever i see that like in movies for years and years i was always like a weird thing i'm like what the hell's up with that and now it's been solved with the magic of blu-ray um so i have an anecdote about this film that i'll share before talking about uh this movie that i still think is like pretty amazing um Mm -hmm. so this i think was my first blind buy criterion purchase uh, mm-hmm. from Future Shop, the now dead brand, uh, whatever, Best Buy of its time, that Best Buy wound up buying, and then they just closed them all up. Uh, mm-hmm. This was forty one ninety nine, which was quite a lot of money back in 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember buying this, and like I was like, oh, man, what if this movie sucks? <laughs> like, what if this, like, it's, it has this really cool cover. It looks really uh, graphically pleasing. But I'm like, what if this, like, mm-hmm. I have no idea if this is going to be good or not. So I went on to, at the time, the Warren Ellis Forum. Um, <laughs> yeah. And this, because it's like back, it's hard to explain, like, 
it was like mm-hmm. kind of a big deal. Uh, it was like the Reddit of its time, like for like for like a comic group. Like this guy would like be posting himself every day, and people would just be on there. Like minded individuals who were fans of uh, Warren Ellis's comics. If people don't know who mm-hmm. Warren Ellis is, and uh, people would just like write whatever the hell they wanted. They'd throw up polls and questions and stuff like that. And I remember like asking like, "Hey, I just bought this movie." should I like open it or should I return it? Cause like, I don't know if this is actually like worth $42, which I mean, for a lot of people, when they look at that, they are probably thinking like 42 pounds or 42 mm-hmm. us dollars. Um, <laughs> and so, but I remember, uh, it being fairly, like fairly divisive. Like there's some people saying you should definitely watch it. And there are other people saying, no, fuck that. Flaney sucks. But I also remember Warren Ellis saying, return it. <laughs> it's like self-indulgent crap or something like that. I, I don't want to put mm-hmm. words in his uh, mouth from like, 16, 17 years ago, but I'll always remember that. And, uh, I, I wound up keeping it and opening it and watching it. And, uh, yeah, thinking like, this movie's awesome. <laughs> like this movie's like, it's not like other movies like at, at all, like mm-hmm. especially at that point in my life watching this movie. Um, I didn't really, I mean, I hadn't seen anything quite like it. Um, I was just starting mm-hmm. to get into like, uh, this like criterion filmography of these sort of films. It was definitely the first Fellini movie I ever watched. Uh, it, it's quite possibly one of the first Italian movies I had ever seen. Um, and I was like, Whoa, is this like what I'm missing out on with these Italian movies? Um, mm-hmm. unless you count like maybe like the spaghetti Westerns, like the Sergio Leone movies, like this probably was like the first like non-Western, I guess of Italian movies I watched. And yeah. Um, so this movie, opened my eyes to like the possibilities. Like I was starting to get there. Like I was watching David Lynch stuff at the time mm-hmm. and like this Fellini guy, his name would pop up every once in a while. It's a really cool kind of magical sounding name Fellini. Um, but it's like, what does it mean? What is this Fellini esque? Um, and it wasn't always a, a good trajectory. Cause I remember trying to watch uh, Fellini satiricon, I think is like mm-hmm. a follow up to this and being like, uh, no thanks. Like I did whatever that movie was and, uh, we will get to watch it one day and maybe it'll be a different experience. Is it part of the collection? It is, I believe now. That or is, is it part that, of the, uh, that, Eclipse series? No, no, it would be, it's a, it's a legit movie, uh, with Ro- mm-hmm. Roma as well. It's a, it would have its own release. I'm pretty sure at this point. So one day we'll get to watch those too and see if, uh, th- that experience will improve or not. But anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, this movie, uh, it's probably, I would say over-regarded. Like there's a period of time where like film critics everywhere would have this like in their top 10 movies of all time. Like film critics, film directors. Um, I know like Terry Gilliam, I think says this is like one of his like all-time favorite movies. And there's actually a lot of weird little bits of like Brazil that are like mm-hmm. taken from this movie specifically. Um, in fact, Terry Gilliam does the commentary track on this movie. Or, or he has, like, an introduction to it, too. Um, and he just t- touches upon, like, sort of, like, the, the metaphors in the film and what they're what he thinks they mean and stuff like that. Um, and I always thought like that was... Like what? I don't know, like, the end of the movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, with the little kid and being, like, little Guido with his little mm-hmm. flute and just, like, the march of humanity and creative and creativity having to, like, march mm-hmm. on into the unknown and stuff like that. And the spirit will never die. That sort of look. And it's, like, quite a... Uh. Uh, it's quite a, it's, it's some real uh, disturbing footage of Terry Gilliam sitting, like, on this couch, this grubby couch in his, like, <laughs> sweater and slacks with, like... I, I believe he might not be wearing shoes, but I think he might be wearing socks. <gasps> so he's not a total mm. 
savage. Um, but like, you I know, remember being like, oh man, Terry Gilliam, he, they just showed up at his house and they're like, Hey, you want to talk about it in a half? And he went, absolutely. And they're like, do you want to change? No, I'm good. <laughs> let's, let's do this right now. I, he was in his own house. I feel like he can do whatever he want. Yeah. And any, you, any YouTube listeners that aren't aware of what's going on can listen to last week's full episode uh of, of the ghoul I still, school i still think i'm right yeah okay i still think i'm right about the socks and the shoes thing um but that's funny uh that reminds me of that dan Aykroyd, uh that conspiracy theorist movie i watched where it's interviewing him and it's in a room with like no lights on and it's just him smoking cigarettes for like two hours just saying nonsense it's like what they do with terry gilliam but he like had something meaningful to say it sounds like yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's like there's the people who like this is their this is their jam, this is their movie. So, and, uh, what are you glad you didn't listen to Warren Ellis? Yeah, and watch it. It's it's weird that he would call it self indulgent. The writer I, of I Transmetropolitan well, is like begging on stuff, you know. Yeah, I know. Well, I remember him. I can't remember if he exactly said that in so many words, but there was something to that effect that it's like you don't need this in your life. And I'm like, oh, that makes so that make, it makes a lot of sense though. There is not a lot of uh, Fellini Fellini spirit in the the writing of Warren Ellis at all. Not yet. Not yet. He hasn't got he hasn't got to that point. Writing mm-hmm. a Castlevania for Netflix. Oh yeah, and it's fucking directed by that nut bar, that Ari Shadkar or whatever. Have you ever seen interviews with that guy? I have no idea. You know what I have He's seen though? Fucking nuts. <laughs> what I, eight I, and a half? I have seen eight and a half. Hey, so uh, I don't know. That's me putting the cards on the table. I could like run through this whole movie beat, beat, beat by beat because like that synopsis stinks, and maybe, maybe it'll it, it'll kick loose some uh, ideas and thoughts about this movie. And like so many like amazing moments are in this movie. Um, but RJ, what do you think of this eight and a half? I know that you and, uh, Fleeney have had some problems in the past. Mm -hmm. Is this the part where I come in and I shit all over eight and a half and then hordes of hate mail come in to the podcast? Well, see, I, I know for a fact that you do like this movie, (laughs) but I do know that there is, uh, the, the legendary La Dolce Vita that, uh, that one watches and, uh, that will be interesting as a rewatch too, because I think that movie's also a snooze fest. <laughs> yeah, La Dolce Vita, and we'll get to it. That was that was the beginning of the end of Fellini with me, and uh, the beginning of a long abusive relationship between me and him. Uh, but I actually did start with eight and a half. Again, this is another one I own. We're on a hot streak right now with all these uh, these major players in the Criterion uh, scene, all these big titles. So uh, this is one I actually have seen before. And uh, yeah, you're right. I do like Eight and a Half. Even with having seen La Dolce Vita, I do like Eight and a Half. That movie, I I think, sucks still. But, uh, you know, whatever. Um, So Eight and a Half is pretty cool. Uh, I watched it, like, I don't know, before we started doing the pod. So that's got to be at least over two years ago. Uh, I watched it with roommate Scott. Uh, fun fact, his parents, uh, their cat is named Fellini. Hmm. I bet you didn't know that. I, yeah. did, I, I did not know that. There's no possible way I could ever know that. <laughs> it, well, we talk about, we, we talk about cats a lot. We do, but you, you, in real life. you've been saving that one in your back pocket, I think. I was waiting for the eight and a half episode, Jarrett. Okay. I was waiting. Uh, so yeah, uh, this was the first Fellini I ever watched and, uh, I was a big fan of it the first time I watched it. Uh, so on rewatch, uh, I still think, uh, it is a very good movie. Um, 
I still like it quite a bit. Uh, and for a lot of reasons that we'll get into, but, uh, I didn't, uh, I don't know. I I don't know what it was. I, I wasn't as wowed by it this second time watching it, but I do think that there were things I picked up that I maybe didn't notice the first time, especially now having seen like, what is this? Uh, like our sixth Fellini film? Maybe not that many, like at least four. That's a good question. Well, we all began well, with we got uh, Amrecord. Amrecord, Variety Lights, uh, Nights of Kabiria. Um, the Ship Sails On. Yeah. Uh, we we watched his horror movie that, separate. Yeah, that was uh, for fun. I feel like there was one more. So this is, mm. yeah, this is like the sixth, fifth or sixth at least. But you can figure that out. Anyways, so yeah, I've seen a lot more Fellini now. Uh, I think I'm more on with him, jive with what he's like. But uh, yeah, I do think this is his, uh, of what I've seen at least, I think this is his best. Uh, what do you think uh, between this and Knights of Kabiria? I know you really like that one. Uh, Apples and oranges or what? Yeah, I mean, they, they, they do different things for me. Like, because there's like that, this is like... He has a jump in his types of movies he was making because there's like mm-hmm. kind of like his uh, before eight and a half and before La Dolcevita, it was kind of his um, he was still like a neo Italian realist, I guess is what they call it, um, where he was making these like movies that were about uh, regular day life in Italy. And like, mm-hmm. but he was like kind of introducing these more like. I guess like the things that we would associate with like the Fellini esque sort of elements where it's like the, the craziness of life, the rhythms and stuff like that, the faces and like all those emphasis, his emphasis on character and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, became more and more like he, he wanted to be a cartoonist and like he basically started like animating his films uh, with real life people. Uh, and Knights of Kabiri is like right on that borderline, but I think it's like right before he starts getting into, I guess we would call like his self-indulgent period, which is mm-hmm. like eight and a half would fall into that. But I think this is also probably at his like peak abilities of da- dancing with those or doing those things. Um, and then like mm-hmm. you have things like you were kind of mentioning, it's not Criterion, but uh, Spirits of the Dead, he does his sh- uh, the short story in there, Toby Dammit, uh, which with uh, Terrence Stamp. And there's like a lot of eight and a half in that, but it's mm-hmm. like, deployed in the horror story and in like mm-hmm. amazing color. Um, yeah. And it's like, it's very different. It's brief and like, I don't know. I, I They're like, again, totally different creatures. It's kind of like hard to like compare the, these movies, like the, his successes. Yeah, I like, got you. There's definitely, you don't the, have to. Yeah, right? there's definitely like, I mean, I'd say that there's like kind of like a, a back and forth for me between eight and a half and Amarcord. I think there's mm-hmm. like so much, because like obviously eight and a half kind of goes back into, um, kind of Fellini slash Guido's past, like that autobiographical stuff. And mm-hmm. Amarcord is like his like autobiographical film with like those exaggerations of like tall tales and stuff like that. And um, Eight and a Half is kind of like the the cool, cold version of Amarcord. So, I mean, like again, like they're all like just different movies, uh, even though like they're all his him. movies. Yeah, they're all him, but they're, they always feel like a little bit different from one another, mm-hmm. which is actually really interesting. And I hadn't thought about it until you asked me to compare <laughs> his movies. Yeah, I did that intentionally. Yeah. I uh, I knew I could evoke that response in you, and um, I'm really good at this podcasting wow, thing. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I'm glad that you admit it. Uh, but yeah, I think Eight and a Half is super cool for a lot of reasons. Uh, but uh, just to start off, um, the way you were talking about like his, where his films fit like within his own uh, work and stuff, I think this is definitely the it's like the biggest production, like clearly I think, but it's also, um, it's the smoothest. Like oh, this yeah. thing is so fucking smooth. That, those camera movements. 
the camera <laughs> the choreography like uh this is like next level directing stuff i think uh the best the best like uh demonstration of that is in the opening scene of him at the uh the spa where like everyone's kind of walking around and he's just walking around with his glasses smoking. What, what happened? No, what I want to do is let's, let's go through this movie. I I got, I got notes. I actually had lots to say. Oh, I know, but you, you interject and I'll kind of go through it and we'll just kind of uh, intermingle. Can it, before you talk about the opening, can I just say that the opening gives me wicked anxiety yeah. and uh, it just really, Good. it makes me wish he did more horror stuff. I know. Because I think he would have been really fucking good at it. So, okay, that's like a side note, but like, it's always yeah. like these directors, like the, the big name directors who like are not horror directors. They do mm-hmm. horror better than like these fucking losers who are like committed to making horror cinema who are just, I know. they're just bad directors. Um, hi, Ty West. Oh. <laughs> <gasps> oh, that was like that was one of my zingers almost. Yeah, I know, but uh, no, Mick Garris. He did. He did have fuzz bucket, I guess. But uh, anyway, yeah. so yeah, no, like Fellini, um, like Kubrick is like the other like big name where it's like, oh yeah, he goes and makes Shining, and it's like, yep, that's what people should be trying to do. And these are guys who just like never did horror ever again. They're like one and done. Um, so anyway, the car traffic dream sequence. Um, I kind of forgot that that's how this movie opens. And as soon as it started, I went, oh yeah. And it's like so amazing. Um, it's actually funny, like watching this back to back with Walt Strawberries, because there's a lot of overlap. And in particular, and in particular, there's a weird overlap because uh, I'll talk about it later, but, uh, Woody Allen's Stardust Memories, it Mm -hmm. is like, it is very much his eight and a half, like full on, like him doing like the exact same opening, except it's on a train. Um, and black and white and about a director who's struggling with his impulses and stuff like that. And a whole menagerie of women and stuff like that. Uh, but there's also like the wall strawberries thing. Cause he's going to get an award and there's these flights of fancies and stuff like that. So like these movies, like wall strawberries eight and a half, there's a little bit of crossover. Um, uh, mm-hmm. but I think this eight and a half, uh, totally does wild strawberries. Um, but yeah, this car traffic dream sequence, this is like, uh, the sound design is reminiscent of what David Lynch, uh, goes on to do with the racer head and stuff like that. There's this whole buildup of silence and then the slow introduction of like audio cues that the use of like kind of these like silent passing overs of these faces and cars and these freeze frames that mm-hmm. are just like totally against what film is always going for, which is this like illusion of reality because mm-hmm. it just breaks and you realize, Hey, I'm looking at a still image. That's not real. And, uh, cause that's not how dreams work even, but this like, this yeah. is like kind of this dream sequence. Um, and it's like, um, there's the one American photographer, Robert Frank, who has this like these really great, there's this one iconic photo of him called like America. And it's like these figures standing in windows with the American flag off the building, but there's these people's bodies. You can't see their faces cause they're in complete darkness and they're like looking out the window and they're just like, I don't know. It's this great image of like alienation. And this film's got that too. And, uh, it's like the, the figures all on the bus, you can't see their heads. And it's just, they're just drab and weird. And you're like, what, like what's going on? Cause everyone's motivation in this scene is unknown. They're like, people are just there and you don't know why. And they're staring at, uh, Guido, the mm-hmm. dreamer in this, uh, you never see his face. You only see the back of his head or like part of him at any given point. Cause there's this big build toward like the reveal of who this character is. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's like I said, it's super tense. Uh, I'd like love to see, like 
someone could make an entire film about it and it wouldn't be as good. But uh, yeah. Yeah, there's elements here that like, man, people should be like borrowing from this more than like just looking at like whatever the most successful horror movie is or whatever and just stealing from other ones. Like look at other movies and look what mm-hmm. they're doing and maybe steal from that instead. Yeah, the the part that I really like uh, when he's like looking around and people in other cars are looking at him and then uh, he looks at the bus and it's just like uniform people, like uh, uniform people or not like in uniforms, but the people are in uniform and they're all looking out the window at him. And it's just like this long row of people all kind of staring at him. I find it super unsettling. Uh, but yeah, that intro is awesome. It's oh. It's uh, a lot of anxiety, and it's it's like I was saying, it's that's better horror than a lot of anything that they make now. Like what yeah. you're saying, they should have put that in that new Halloween movie <laughs> by uh, the director. We'll talk about it in a couple weeks. Yeah, uh, and then yeah, you have the smoke buildup in the car, the escape. You get the fly away moment that's like really still quite amazing. Mm-hmm. You, you get the uh, iconic uh, Guido costume, that hat, the coat. The glasses. Uh, the glasses. Yeah. Oh, man. I, well, I'm still wearing my uh, my uh, Guido glasses to this day because of this movie. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, then you get the escape. He starts flying, real fake-ass mm-hmm. flying. Uh, it's no uh, Richard Donner Superman, that's for sure. But then uh, he gets uh, he gets caught, and uh, he has this big rope around his foot. He gets brought, dragged, actually dragged back to Earth, and he falls back into the ocean with a fake-ass dummy. It's uh, very Italian. Um, and then he, he snaps back to the waking world. His hand reaches out from his bed. And mm-hmm. uh, we find out that, see, there's always a, read, a reading to me that he's essentially in detox at this, like. That's what I thought. Yeah, he's at this, like, holy spa. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, he's, like, being looked after. Again, we, we haven't seen his face yet. Uh, he's, he's getting the treatment for being worn down, probably, mm-hmm. like raging alcoholism and partying and stuff like that. Cause as you see in this movie, every single night, uh, there's mm-hmm. a party in revelry, uh, and that you're supposed to be making movies, but like, when are you supposed to ever rest to like be good enough to make a movie the next day when you're just like constantly at shindigs and pressers mm-hmm. and all this stuff like that. Uh, we get this, like the first, like kind of like big iconic shot for this movie for me is the, the worn down, beaten down face of, uh, Marcello Mastriani, uh, as Guido here, his big mm-hmm. bags under his eyes. And he's like getting ready for another day of bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a, one of my favorite ongoing things in this movie. Uh, and it's like, it just pushes this movie for me to like that higher level of like filmmaking. And it's like stuff that like when mm-hmm. I'm watching it, it makes me smile. Cause I'm like, Oh fuck. I love this movie is like his like body language in reaction mm-hmm. to stuff because there's the bit where like someone's like buzzing in and he's like kind of standing there in his like pajamas and he's like starts like lowering on his knees like he starts dropping his body into this droop and like, oh, it's, it's yeah. yeah I just love that it's just like this weird little character beat and he has these like little moments throughout where like he's like the he's kind of like building up scenes in his mind or he's like living his life like he's in a movie uh, and he is in a movie coincidentally but like in his mind he's like bup, bup, that up that that up. he makes these little beats and stuff like that like when he's swinging in the purse later on uh when he's having a uh, dinner with uh, his mistress carla and stuff like that mm-hmm. or like walking down the hallway he's singing these little songs like and they're like you think it's like the morning but it's like oh no it's the afternoon he just slept away the like half of the day um uh, being just uh a guido um, being a white being a guido being himself nice yeah. nice 
Uh, and then we get uh, the scene that you were just mentioning, the flight of the Valkyries, uh, which is where you get the, mm-hmm. the, the big uh, the big spa, crazy camera panning everywhere, yeah. flowing through people, and all the faces turning and smiling at the camera. Uh, and it's like, this is like uh, totally uh, peak Fellini action. Um, you get people mm-hmm. of all shapes and sizes, all varieties, craggy, made up, ridiculous hordes makeup, of nuns. hordes of nuns, all just like there's this constant flow. It's like almost like a musical number of reality, um, which again is like mm-hmm. the, uh, that, that Fellini quality of just like everything is sort of like everyone's kind of marching to this invisible music. But in, because we're, we're uh, the audience, we get to actually enjoy that set to music. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, you get all that stuff. And it's just, it's so elegant. It's so well made. The camera's always moving. And like there's scene after scene where it's like always just like following the action. And it's like, so it's like the exact right call. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like when I've, uh, you know, shit upon a, a Gelmero del Toro when I'm watching his movies <laughs> and I yeah. go like, this guy just doesn't know what he's doing a lot of the time. Like he's making these things like, it's just the wrong decision to me. And then I mm-hmm. never feel that way watching this movie or any of Fellini's movies. Usually it's like, I'm always like, he, he knows exactly what he's doing all the time. And it's always interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So then, yeah, we get introduced to, uh, uh, Guido's buddy, Mario, uh, played by Mario Paiso here as Mario Mezaboda, uh, mm-hmm. and, and his uh, girlfriend played, uh, here by Barbara Steele, uh, the original anime girl and star of uh, a couple of, uh, Mario Bava movies. Yeah. Yeah. What about Mario Bava? He likes, he likes Barbara Steele too. Those Italians really like Barbara Steele. She had those cra- those crazy eyes. I wonder if it was the eyes or is the curves or is all those womanly things. But yeah, I, I think that fountain scene is awesome. It's really good. Yeah. It's like I said, it's so smooth. It's so smooth. I imagine that he was doing like a, like you said, all the people are like moving to the music even though it's not there. I imagine that's just kind of how he saw life. He would just watch people walking by and he would hear like fly to the Valkyries playing in his head. Mm-hmm. So like a guy plunging the toilet. Yeah. That's Fellini humor. There you go. It is. Remember yeah. when those, those, those dudes are all jerking off in the car together in Amacord. I do remember when those dudes were jerking off in a car to Amacord. Yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. Uh, so then we go on to, uh, Guido waiting for the train, waiting uh, mm. for Carla, his mistress, to show up. This very like full-bodied blonde bombshell lady who uh, mm-hmm. is just kind of flitting around the edges, has these aspirations, I guess, of like be hanging out with the great director, being part yeah. of the, being part of the scene. Uh, and like he's asking like how her butt's doing, uh, and she's into that. Have you never been asked how your butt was? No, no, I haven't. Hey, Jer, how's your butt? It's doing fine. We're, we're here. Good. We're still here. Um, then, yeah, we get the lunch. We get, then we mm-hmm. get the uh, the bedding and whoring up scene of uh, oh, Carla. Oh, the slutting. Yes, scene. yeah. It'll be more of a slut. Yeah, slut it up for me, baby. Yeah. Did that uh, turn your crank, RJ? It's not the word I would use, Jarrett. It's not the word or the phrase or the expression that I would use. But it did. That's more of a, that's more of a Jarrett thing. I uh, no, he he just like draws eyebrows on her, but they're mm-hmm. like straight up. Yeah, they're like vertical, and I'm like, what are you doing, dude? Yeah. His his tastes are a little eccentric. Hey, <laughs> just I'm gonna pretend I'm sleeping. You you come in and uh, wake me up. Yeah, it's like all right, all right I, okay. You rouse me. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do like uh, it's a really nice moment with her, though, where even though she like she's self appointedly kind of like a floozy, like she acknowledges it a couple times. There's a really sweet moment where uh, he's asleep in bed and she's reading like like reader's digest type stuff like a little comic strip no, no, she's she reading uh, yeah she's reading disney comics like she's reading on. yeah reading yeah. like disney comics and she laughs and then she's like "Ooh, i better be quiet i don't want to wake him up and i thought that was really a uh, nice sweet little moment yeah uh yeah that's kind of like right after we get the um another dream sequence this one with his parents in this like <laughs> ruin of like italy somewhere some field they have ruins everywhere in the old yeah. country uh, and we have like, it's like more of like, these uh, stresses that he has and internal things with his, his mother and his parents and his producer who's like strolling through with some, some broads as uh, producers do. And then, you know, we get the, the next afternoon morning where he's like, uh, yeah, she is reading the, or no, you're right. It has a, it is right before that dream sequence. Yep. Um, and there's like the woman yeah, wa- I know. cleaning the window and like standing yeah. in the room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was going to say, I love that. Uh, I think this is one of the best parts it's done in the movie, but it's done throughout the movie where there's like a blend between dream and reality and like the way that they transition and stuff like that. I think it's awesome. Uh, the way they build up, like, uh, like I was saying, I don't think the story or the plot is ambiguous any in any way, but like his memories are ambiguous and the way that they're like interleaved with, with reality. I really like that. It's awesome. No. Cause sometimes, uh, you know, you daydream and stuff like that does happen. Yeah. It does. Anyways, the, uh, it does those flights of fancy transitions very, very well. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Uh, then yeah, the next afternoon we get that scene I mentioned before, uh, him like kind of doing these little, his little dance, his little twirl down the hall that I always love. Uh, and then we get, him get on that elevator and he sees these priests being mm-hmm. very priestly, um, not they being a priestly. religious person in any way. Uh, now this is probably my least favorite part of the movie. Cause I, I don't know anything about this Italian Catholic stuff. It's just kind of there for me. What do you need to know, baby? Uh, I'll, I'll hit I'm, you up. Well, I'm, not, I'm not asking. Um, well, I think the way it's presented <laughs> in this movie even is like, I think the way he does it, it's also kind of like, it's almost like a nuisance to him, right? That he always has to appeal to these people. So I thought you would have been way on board with that. Well, I mean, it is, but at the same time, it's like very like laden. And I mean, that's like very yeah. Italian, right? I mean, that's like uh, yeah. the the bedrock of uh, that whole, Catholicism. That, that, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of there, right? That old Vatican City. Am I right? Am I? Do I got my facts right there? Uh, that is a place in the world. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we get, we get like uh, our first kind of like our next big swirl of action in this movie, where it's like the they're on set, I guess, like at a studio or the hotel lobby. It's kind of like both. It feels like. Um, and we again we get introduced to more characters, more people, more hanger oners, more mm-hmm. like writers and people doing interviews, and there are like idiot questions and like people always wanting something or other questions for him because he's the director. Um, we have like probably one of like the funniest scenes I think in the Criterion Collection for me uh, is like the one guy who's like, "Hey, I got three old men to play the priest," and he's like, oh, "What? What are you talking about?" He's like, "Yeah, I got these three guys. You wanted someone that's like really pathetic looking. These are like the th- most pathetic people I've ever seen in my life. This one's got one foot in the grave, and he's just talking about them, and they're just standing there and they're just taking it and completely mm-hmm. like, "Yes, sir, I'm I'm a piece of shit." <laughs> it's like I, I it's so funny. Um, mm. Yeah, 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 and again, like another like sequence of like just like 
amazing camera movements and layout mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, just kind of like building up that tension of like being demanded upon and like not being able to actually think for yourself or like think about what you want to do because you're always like making concessions to other people. I, I've been yeah. there. I think we've all been there. Uh, I haven't. Uh, I've only ever been uh, real to myself, Jer. Wow. Uh, where are we in the story? Are we at the dance party yet? Oh, we're at the party now. That's the next, okay. that is, that is the next scene. I, I love, uh, old men dancing with young women oh because it's God. like, I think it's so, it's so real. So Jared. sweaty. So sweaty and like out of breath. And then you have these women that are like, just like doing it flawlessly and like with, with E or without at total ease, they're just like. You know, they're just being themselves, comfortable in their own body. Yeah, and then you have this fat, sweaty (laughs) old man who's like, "Fuck that!" Uh, No, so one of my absolute favorite moments in Eight and a Half is uh, when, yeah, Mario, the ambassador. No, Mario. He's like after he's dancing with Barbara mm-hmm. Steele and there's the one shot where she kind of like walks away and kind of like gestures toward him to come toward yeah. him. And there's just a shot of him like sadly like walking toward him or walking toward her and he's like snapping yeah. his fingers. I fucking, uh, that is like, yep, that is middle-aged man. And he's like, yeah. yeah, I've still got it. <laughs> I like that. And then there's a the part where uh, the mistress is at like a different table and uh, one guy comes up to Guido and is like, uh, the ambassador is giving Signora the eye mm-hmm. and it's an old guy like 10 feet away from her and he's just kind of like raising his eyebrows a bunch like at her. I was like, this is, this is all just awesome. Uh, I forgot to tell you. So I was at the slice on Halloween weekend. I went with uh, some friends and uh, there was this, there was a, a small contingent of dance people. There was one guy leading it. I think he was on like, he had to have been on like ecstasy or cocaine or something. Cause he danced for about three hours nonstop, but he kept bringing people out. And there was an old lady he brought out and uh, she was like a pirate and she was pretty old. She was like 65 plus, like maybe 70 almost. Almost my age. Yeah, almost your age. And uh, she was dancing real good. Like she with she didn't like have to take too many breaks, but she had this old guy come out and he was like also 65, 70. And this dude had the sickest moves any of us have ever seen. And I'll give him credit we're like in eight and a half, you have a bunch of old fat bastards. This guy at the slice was laying down heavy moves, Jarrett. And he wasn't tiring. And it was like a lot of like really short, quick steps, like, but bobbing his head while he walked. A lot of stuff like that. It was awesome. I don't know why I told you that story. What are we talking about? Uh, parties and old men. Oh, yeah. Time. Okay. Uh, there's that stuff, which I think is funny. Yeah. So, yeah, the party, we got that hypnotist who's awesome. He's so yeah. like, he's got like, again, Fellini's ability to find like the right kind of ugly people. That, is that like, guy from uh, Carnival of Souls? Uh, yeah, there, I took a screenshot of him and he definitely, there's some, there's definitely some similarities to uh, ghouls uh, mm-hmm. in that makeup. Uh, we get some like psychic attack as Barbara mm-hmm. Steele's like, don't read my mind. Uh, yeah. Dance numbers and sweat. Uh, yeah, that whole sequence is just like really great. Again, uh, just a demonstration of like how to place the camera at the right place and just like have this whole swirl of like conversations going on, uh, talking about communism and left Mm -hmm. and right, you know, all things that no one talks about anymore. Of course. One, one of my favorite lines is at the dance party, uh, where a guy says it's an orgy of pragmatism and brutal realism. Yeah. 
not about the dance party itself, but I think they're talking about the script. And I was like, oh, shit. That's pretty hot. <laughs> no. I was like, that's good stuff. Uh, then we get the Asanisamasa sequence. Asanisamasa. Yeah. Uh, I love uh, the opening to that where he's doing basically the cornholio from uh, Beavis and Butthead. Uh, yeah. Where he has like the back of his shirt pulled over his head and he's running around. Uh, I loved it. I was like, so that's where Mike Judge got it, huh? Yeah, that's exactly where. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about uh, all those people stomping on wine on, oh, on those grapes? They're, 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 I, I knew it. Because <laughs> you know those little kids are peeing in that. Peeing and pooping. Peeing, shitting. They probably sweating. haven't washed their feet in like eight years. Yeah, that's uh, wine, baby. Yeah, I know that's how they used to make wine. Uh, I prefer the cold, calculated Walter White style of making wine. You just put a grape in your mouth, you leave it for like eight years, and then you enjoy. There you go. That was, that right? was, was going to be my question to you. That old human foot stomped grape wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was super gross. I bet you did. Yeah, um, did. yeah and then uh, we get that kind of like the wine down from the party at the hotel foyer, phone call to the wife with the dare of like, you don't want me to come there. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I do want you to come here. No, you don't. And I'm going to come. I'm going to definitely come. Uh, then we get like the, the kind of like ongoing thing we haven't mentioned. That was also from the uh, kind of the flight of the Valkyrie spa scene with like the muse, uh, his like his dream woman, this woman that he just keeps seeing at the, at the spa. And he's like, yeah, that's the one she's perfect. She'll like have all the answers to all my questions. She won't talk to me, but only when I talk to her, she'll be available. She's beautiful. She's understanding. She's this perfection. That's all I want in a woman. Mm-hmm. And so we have this kind of like, again, this sort of like sequence uh, with him, like getting closer to this woman and like trying to like create a situation where he can finally be happy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Next morning we have the sick mistress, uh, poor Carla. Uh, we got that conversation with the clergy in the forest, uh, where we get like this, like kind of discussion about like the nature of film, the limitations of film. And like, it's just like absurd. Like just listening to like these, these doddering old religious fucks, uh, going on about like what film can be and the problems that film have representing things and like how they lose the plot. They, they, They just, they just can't handle films. Can't handle everything. The only people qualified to talk about film are old Roman Catholic priests. Yeah, they're... I don't know what you learned in your heathen school for sinners, but uh, at a real school, we were informed of such things. So... Right. Yeah. What were we talking about? Old men steaming? uh, Not yet. That's coming, though. But before that, we get uh, Saragina. We get the the Romba. Oh, the old hooker down by the sea. Yeah, down down on the beach. Um, right near so the beach. this like might be one of my favorite scenes in movies. I figured it was. I and, uh, it's, it's, it's John Watersy. It, it, it really is like, cause there is like, yeah. uh, an element of like divine and there's yep. like, there's actually another, there's a shot that like is so pink flamingos. Uh, it's like during the final sequence when, uh, Carla turns to the camera, her face and smile is like, yep. you, you just know that, uh, uh, George or whatever as divine like he like loved that like that's like to him and actually uh, I, I was curious about John Waters and he's like if he was like a Fellini fan and he actually there's a some article I came across where he mentioned like he has this like eight and a half inch ruler that he got from seeing eight and a half in theater in like hmm. Baltimore and he's kept it and he said he saw this movie and it was like absolutely amazing and he loved Fellini I'm like yeah. that makes so much sense but like mm-hmm. 
yeah, this scene, like, I don't know why it stuck, it stuck with me and why this movie like kind of captures my taste in so many ways. Um, yeah. like, cause it's just like, it's such a strange scene, but that song, that music, like I like ever since watching the movie again, uh, the other day, I've just been like, bum, 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 like it just pops in my head it's just an earworm and uh i always think about that sequence because it's like this woman of like just raw femininity this like huge Mm -hmm. like animalistic woman like and that's like and it's so well cast and like they found this woman just like yeah you're like this terrifying like sex woman beast that like you're not like (laughs) just like me yeah you're not like this like you know skinny attractive beautiful like woman that we've seen like all types of women in mm-hmm. this movie and she's like this like flip side of it but like she's really well cast because like you totally get this idea that like this woman knows how to rumble she knows how to throw down you you know what i think shows that uh best is when they do the screen tests and you see the people screen testing for Saragina, yeah. and you're like these women all suck yeah like, she's not the real Saragina. she they can't do the roomba yep um and then of course uh guido gets found out and uh, he gets mm. that Catholic guilt beat down, talking Hell about yeah, how she's shit, she's evil and horrible, and you shouldn't have anything to deal with her. And then you get this like amazing little like coda to that scene where uh, young Guido goes back to the beach, and there's uh, Saragina just sitting on the chair with this like scarf kind of blowing in the wind. She turns back and kind of smiles. It's just like so good. I mm-hmm. I don't know. This is like one of those iconic moments for me. And people talk about like the, uh, the, the, the harem scene as like the big moment of this movie. But for me, harem it's this scarum? one. Yeah. What harem? Oh, the, uh, yeah. Guido cowboy Guido. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's yeah. next, isn't that, it? Uh, nope, not yet. Well, we're getting there though. Oh. Then we get, we get sweating with the Cardinal. Ah, there it is. Yeah. Uh, I love, uh, dudes just smoking cigarettes in the sauna. I think that is hilarious. Okay. So here's a, here's a tale. So, uh, I thought up until the, I, when I watched this movie, I thought smoking was so cool after watching this. Uh, yeah, it yeah, is. Th- this movie, like, man, everyone who's smoking in this fucking movie, it makes it look like, man, I'm really missing out not smoking. I, I really. So did you pick up smoking because of this movie? Uh, it was definitely planted in my mind, I think. like, And there's always like this like bullshit line about like, like in Marvel comics, like no one smokes anymore mm-hmm. because like Joe Quesada's dad died of like lung cancer and he's like fuck it no smoking in comics wolverine can't smoke anymore no one smokes Mm -hmm. and it's like it doesn't even matter like it just like when does smoking ever become a plot point in a superhero book but it's Mm -hmm. gone like it's not in there at all um it's but i remember watching this movie and being like i always thought that was like really stupid this idea that people would be that suggestible like watching people smoking something being like yeah i'm gonna start smoking but this was the one movie where i was like that seems like really cool. It seems like a mm-hmm. good idea because all these cool, suave Italian people who dress really well are all smoking. So maybe I should too. You should. Smoking's pretty good. It's, it's fun. Smoking's pretty awesome, man. Yeah. So we get the sweating with the Cardi, and uh, then mm-hmm. we get this like car expo, car dealership auction building scene, which is how we get uh, the arrival of Louisa, uh, Guido's wife, mm-hmm. uh, Nuke Amy, who is this like, I don't know, she, this, actress she has something going on like she is like like has such a great energy to her like i, I think like mm-hmm. she's so good in this movie and like because she has like this like task of, like the movie just kind of shifts gears as soon as she finally arrives it feels like and that's mm-hmm. like so after she shows up i was kind of curious i'm like oh how long how much longer is in this movie and i looked and i'm like holy shit it's been an hour and a half mm-hmm. like this movie is just trucking along so easily unlike another movie i'll talk about 
Okay. Um, and then, yeah, we get more nightlife now that uh, Louise is there. Guido and him, they're, her, they're hanging out. And everyone's palling around and more conversations about, like, the pressure of the film coming on and d- dudes macking on his wife, et cetera. Then we get the mm. spaceship set scene, um, which is like. This, oh, yeah. Yeah. So you sort of like, cause we've been hearing about this spaceship throughout this like production. You're kind of like, what is this movie? But then like, there's this brilliant idea that like, we actually get a spaceship scene in eight and a half because the movie that they're making never gets made. Um, yeah. and never, and like Fellini was like, uh, yeah, we're never going to get there. But like, at some point this like fucking producer, he's got this idea. We've got to make a, we've got to make a sci-fi movie. We've got to <laughs> like, just like Mario Bava's doing with that planet of the vampires. Like mm-hmm. you just get these things where you're like, oh, we got to make something like this. And so Fellini's like, well, I've got a way of figuring it out, but it's got to land all these things. And so the brilliant idea that Fellini had was like, well, I'm not going to make this movie, but I'm going to make this movie instead. And it's going to have all these things that I was trying to figure out all along. So it's so smart. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get, you know, this sort of tension between these these two, this couple, where things are fraying, you don't know why. And then we get, like, all the awkwardness of the next day. Breakfast awkwardness. When your mistress shows up at the same cafe that you're eating at with your wife. And, oh, that seems so good. Um, and just, like, because it's like the gaslighting, right? It's just mm-hmm. like, what are you talking about? Uh, I, I didn't even know she was in town. <laughs> and she's like, and she's just like, no, you're, don't insult my goddamn intelligence. And then they start talking about him like he's not there, which is really good. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, this is just like steaming old uh, Guido off real bad. And then we get the, <laughs> the transition of uh, to the harem scene because um, Carla and uh, Louisa in the dream sequence become really close friends and are like all chatty and friendly. And then they go and uh, all become submissives to uh, to Guido in his bathtub and coming home at Christmas with gifts. And uh, they turn and rebel on him, but he keeps them all in order with his bullwhip. We get Louisa who gets the thankless role of being the Madonna in the complex of Madonna and whoredom. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's The scene's like good and interesting but people really talk about this more than anything else kind of which is i don't know um i liked uh i liked that he was a cowboy yeah yeah his that that funky hat his like pseudo catholic priest hat that Mm -hmm. he's rocking it's like uh i don't know it's pretty cool yeah i don't know i think that scene's fine yeah it's fine like it's not like but for me like there's so many other things that i find remarkable more than that it's like good it's interesting it's exciting i like the build of his like slow he's too slow of realization of what's going on um Mm -hmm. when they start they all turn on him simultaneously um and then we get the running of the dailies the test footage awkwardness Mm -hmm. of like Mm -hmm. yeah when you make movies about people in your own life and you have to make this sort of honest story about it those people are going to see what you think about them and it's one of the (laughs) problems of making art i'm trying to make like an authentic truthful art is because it's going to probably in some way hurt the ones that you love and you have to deal with that and so at what point do you like draw that line um you you know what you know what this really reminded me of hmm it reminded me of Mother by Darren Aronofsky and like creating because, you know, how like there's the, the biblical interpretation of that movie. But then there's the other one where it's like it's like creating something and then putting it out there and then it being like misinterpreted or like misconstrued. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about that a lot during this movie. We're not not necessarily in the test screenings because it's like you said, they were getting like what real impressions of them were. But uh 
I don't know. I don't. For some reason, when you were talking about that, I was like, "Yeah, this movie really reminded me of Mother." For some reason. Well, yeah, you were kind of talking like with the anxieties of that opening scene and stuff like that. Yeah. There's yeah, and the and the way the camera works and stuff like that. Like there's there's yeah. similarities. I guess you could definitely start sure to, start. You could begin to suggest that. Uh, and then we got uh, Guido going out with his muse. He he breaks away from this bullshit, and uh, he goes on a car ride. And he thinks, like, finally, this beautiful young woman, she's going to answer all my problems. And then she doesn't, because she doesn't know shit either, just like the mm-hmm. rest of us. No one knows anything, because if they did, we wouldn't be where we are. Um, and uh, eventually, he just gets dragged back into the madness. They come and find him in the middle of the street, and they drag him back into uh, back to the, <laughs> to the press conference at the spaceship set and it's like he's being drugged off to his own execution like he's fighting it mm-hmm. and they're dragging him and dragging him oh come on come on come on uh and then yeah we get all get that crazy intense uh flurry of scenery and people asking questions that like what you would call it like, people just in the foreground and shot in this way and this like really accentuates their h- human faces uh because usually people always want to like kind of look attractive they want to look beautiful mm-hmm. they want to look their best like they, they're always at that right angle but Fellini's like nah that's not that's boring everyone has like character to their face if you have a, if you have a big nose a big chin big forehead weird ears big front freaky eyes big cheeks I want to accentuate that that's what makes you beautiful and interesting and that's like sort of like this ongoing thing with this thing and it's like it's cartoonist and, yeah uh, exactly and the character ca- yeah that caricature is mm-hmm. part of him um, yeah and then we get uh, Guido shooting himself in the head under a table mm-hmm um, which I've seen some people think of it as literal, which I think is like, mm. uh, like everything's, I never thought that, but no, I, me neither. I think it's like, he's cr- committed career suicide, mm-hmm. I guess, because the home stretch is that the project's over the, 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 yeah. the set's got to come down. Uh, one thing we haven't talked about the ongoing, like the film critic in this, which I mm. like, I always think of like Godard, I guess, like the the French New sure. Wave sort of thinking. Which is like, he'd be a contemporary of this, so it wouldn't be quite right. But maybe it's like that previous generation of film critic that like brought out the French New Wave stuff, and just this mm-hmm. way of like talking about film and like, if you want to make this really great film, this idea of like, yeah, you bring a film critic in because it'll help you like really narrow down your themes. But like, there's this sort of like constant like self-reflexive self-destruction that comes with film criticism that like makes it very much the antithesis of creating something because you're always just like ruining yourself like you overthink it and it's like and he literally says that ah destruction is better than creativity and it's like it's like the ultimate zinger about his entire like like that's what film critics are it's like inevitably it's like the best film is no film because then Mm -hmm. there's nothing that can go wrong and that's kind of like his final dig i think you know, I think there's there's something to that, though. I don't know if you knew, but I used to write for the university uh, paper. You've mentioned that to me, yeah. And uh, I wrote movie reviews. And uh, I think like 10 in or something, I watched a movie that like I really didn't like. And then I just wrote like a scathing review of it. And uh, all the people at the paper were like, this is your best. Uh, this is your best piece yet. And I was like, really? I was like, all I do is shit on a movie for like yeah. a thousand words. Like it's not that special. But uh, apparently it was. And so I guess this guy is right. Destroying is better than creating. Because, like, m- normally I just went to movies I wanted to watch. So I my reviews were usually like, yeah, I like this. I knew I would. That's why I went to it. And then that one, I was like, oh, this sucks. So I, like, I don't know. Hmm. There's something to that, though. People do like seeing uh, reviews, like, just oh, shitting they, on they stuff. Abs- they absolutely do. But you know what's interesting yeah. is, like, I think, like, uh, 
I've had a, we've had a few people who've said that their favorite episodes are actually the ones where we're really positive on movies because we have a lot yeah, more to say about things. Cause that's it, when, true. Which is, so it's like, yeah, like something like a, a Beauty and the Beast, uh, mm. mind, or like a Passion of Joan of Arc. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps even eight and a half. I don't know. <laughs> sure. Um, and then, so yeah, we get this home stretch and we get the scene where he's sitting in the car and he's staring off into di- the distance, listening to the critic just ramble on about things and like waxing poetic. And then we get the, like the big send, the, the, the hypnotist comes in, like, everything's mm-hmm. ready. Let's, let's go. And we get this, like the, the celebration, which like is like the kind of like you, one could argue is probably like the, the greatest thing that Fellini's ever directed or shot is probably that mm-hmm. final scene. Cause it's like everything he does. Um, it's very like, um, Wes Anderson ish. And it's even like, it's like where everyone comes together and there's like kind of a big send off. Uh, mm-hmm. and that becomes really, really like, uh, apparent in Woody Allen's film, Stardust Memories, which is a movie I just watched and is his eight and a half, like full on eight and a half. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know, before we get into that, uh, that celebration, how about it? Uh, yeah, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's awesome, There's man. Like, like, yeah. it's, a, it's such a, it's like a culmination of everything that the movie is. Like the movie is a story about a story for a man. And yeah. then like this thing is, it's kind of like this nice little piece where he's just like, He's like, yeah, I'm I'm the sum of like all my experiences and all these people in my life. They're the reason I am why I am. And it's like and then this is like my ode to them where it's like I'm going to bring everyone back because it's only because of you that we're like we're here together. Yeah, that it, kind of thing. Yeah, it's, I was you know, like, yeah, I like that. Yeah, no matter all, all those experiences you have, good or bad, are kind of like the foundation of what one does and like draws mm-hmm. from to make anything, uh, to make art, uh, make film. It's all based on that kind of thing. And it's like this whole march of like life uh, and like everyone's joyful. And it's like, yeah, you strip out like because you can do whatever you want in a film. That's like kind of like mm-hmm. the big payoff to this movie. It's like, well, we're not, we never got to make the movie. And then this movie's like, oh, but we get, we actually get to finish the movie and we can do whatever the fuck we want because reality doesn't matter. Dream doesn't matter. It's all simultaneous and interchangeable in this world. And you can mm-hmm. just do it. Like, there's like the awesome, like the one scene that like I always like, I found like weirdly touching too is like where he's like, he sees his mom and dad who are dead. And he's yeah. like, oh, hey, mom. She's like, oh, fuck, I'm whatever. She's like, I'm going to be with your dad. And he's like, oh, okay. Because it's like, uh, it's like this really nice moment um, of like yeah. kind of letting go and like kind of like, well, yeah, live your own life, dude. Quit dwelling in the past and go go see your mama. It's another uh, great characteristic this of uh, the Italian the... man. Oh, with the moms? Yeah, yeah. The, the moms. Spaghetti moms. Yeah, spaghetti moms. Yeah, well, this movie is all about burying the past, yeah. Jared. Um, and yeah. It's about... Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, like, the so one thing that, I mean, I, we haven't even talked about up to this point, really, uh, is Nino Rota and his, like, music and score for this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, uh, all-time banger. It's amazing music. Uh, it gives me chills, uh, the final sequence and the use of it. Were the, they electrifying? Yeah. Ooh. You see what I did there, Jared? Sure. <laughs> do, do, do you see what I did there, Jared? Are you there? So, RJ. Yeah. To accompany uh, this this occasion of talking about eight and a half, I watched two films that draw heavily on eight and a half. The first one, again, I've mentioned Woody Allen's Stardust Memories. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was his follow up to Manhattan. Uh, so I mean, he just comes off making Annie Hall, making Manhattan, uh, and he yeah. decides, "Hey, I'm going to make Stardust Memories," like a full on like homage pastiche of eight and a half, like specifically eight and a half. Um, 
And yeah, like it opens up with Woody Allen, like in the dream of him being trapped on a train, but he's like on the wrong train with a bunch of strangers and he looks Ugh. over and there's another train and there's like all the people he knows all having a party and he's like not been invited and he wants to get off the train, but it starts off anyway. It's very similar. And like, it's, it's black and white. It works. Like, it's just interesting watching it being like, whoa, this is like so direct. Cause I mean, yeah, in the context of like when this movie would have come out, like 1980, like the only way to watch uh, eight and a half would have been on video and like people would be talking about this. So it'd be kind of an interesting mm-hmm. exercise. Uh, one thing I will say, uh, I didn't love this movie. Some This is a mm-hmm. one that hits people differently though. Like there's like, uh, like Roger Ebert was not a fan of this when it came out. Uh, a friend of mine, um, Dan, he loves eight and a half and he thinks Stardust Memories is like, he says it's one of his favorite Woody Allen movies. And mm-hmm. I was like, really? Cause like I, the first half of this, I thought was like quite good. And it's been a long time since I watched a Woody Allen and let alone like a, like early days, uh, Woody Allen. And, uh, the one thing I actually, I think doesn't get talked about a lot with Woody Allen, uh, is how good of his facials he is. Like when he's like in, mm. in close up, like he's so good, like at his facial reactions, like he actually is a really good performer. Um, there, but there's like the woodiness, the, the, the cadence of his characters kind of gets old, yeah. like his female characters, they all just are the same woman over and over <laughs> and over again. And, it's frustrating because even in this, there's like, like, oh, there's another scene with him talking with like his like female character about a movie, and they're talking about it the way that he thinks that like women talk about it, or like his like intellectual New York circle of people talk about it, and it's like mm-hmm. always the same, and it's like it's just like Seinfeld where like everybody talks like a Seinfeld character. Can I say something about uh, Woody Allen? Absolutely. I um. As we do this Criterion initiative, uh, I'm my opinion of Woody Allen is getting like weaker and weaker every every movie we watch because <laughs> it's becoming so apparent that he he like just ripped off so much stuff, which like I don't care about. Like, yeah, you should take good parts from good movies and make them your own, but it's like it seems like. Every other week, it's like, oh, yeah, Woody Allen did this in this movie. It's like, so, fuck, did he so do anything there, there, original? Well, okay, so there's this very specific window of time, like right after he made Manhattan, where he's making yeah. these like homage movies too. Like this, this is all oh, Bergman. He's like, he makes like yeah. uh, September, Another Woman. Like they, mm-hmm. those are his full on like references. But like he was a film nerd. Like he's like kind of like one of the first yeah. film nerds doing this stuff. And uh which I mean, like whatever. Tarantino's doing the same thing, but he's yeah, like, but he's picking I, like, like yeah. shit movies, like exploitation trash movies that like no one cares about. Whereas Woody Allen was the guy of his time, looking at these like art house cinema movies that were like starting mm-hmm. to get pick up steam in the '60s and stuff like that. And he's like, oh, I'm going to make one of those too, and because he could, uh, which I don't knock against him because he's still like they're still obviously like Woody Allen movies like he's still writing yeah. them that way but yeah like he's like he's like the original film nerd I just think it's interesting that like you'd go from like kind of peak like the peak of his like creative abilities which is like probably Annie Hall Manhattan back to back and then he decides I'm gonna make a Fellini movie now <laughs> yeah I don't I don't dislike him all I'm saying is I'm seeing through you, Woody Allen. Well, there's there's a scene here because uh, Charlotte Rampling is kind of in this movie, like in the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like kind of his wife character that you don't get to see because um, she's like always like she was like kind of a stress case. Um, mm-hmm. And there's this scene though where she's like accusing Woody Allen of uh, hitting on her 14 year old niece nice. or cousin, and he's like, "Why would I ever do that?" And I'm like, "Oh." 
And it's like, but it's like, yeah, it's, why? But, why? Then, but then again, then I start thinking about gaslighting, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's Woody. That's Woody. It's like I was saying when I watched Manhattan, and I was like where all the dialogue was so clearly written by like a 40 year old man who was like trying to convince people that it was okay for him to be like in a relationship with like a 15 year old girl where like the women, the other women characters are like, Oh, age isn't a big deal. If they like each other, it's okay. He's just like expressing himself. And it's like, Hmm, I wonder who wrote that Woody. Uh, there is aliens in this movie, RJ. Uh, I noticed, and I love it. <laughs> yep. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, this is the movie where the, the classic line, I like your earlier, funnier movies. This is like the movie where it all, that, that that is the ongoing joke uh, throughout yeah. it. Um, yeah, this movie's it's to, it's really interesting, I guess, to watch it back to back because you can see all the rhythms and stuff like that, and like some of the visual jokes are still kind of funny, but I wasn't totally wowed by it either. But you know what I was mm. absolutely not wowed by in the slightest? What's that, Jer? Rob Marshall's Nine from 2009. Is that the Beanbag movie? No. Like that, that's, about that's, the Beanbag people? That's, num- that's like the number nine, also from 2009, about Beanbag people. This is Nine, based on the 1982 Tony Award-winning musical Nine, which mm. is the musical version of Eight and a Half. Like it is a full on like remake of eight and a half, but you know I think the original play had like Jonathan Price of from Brazil mm-hmm. uh, as Guido uh, and and Salmi, um, and yeah it's just like a reinterpretation and this is like a American musical movie of eight and a half with Daniel Day Lewis, and let it be said that oh, we all dear. we all love Daniel Day Lewis, but you know what yeah. He, he, He's not like a guy who's like, if he's in a movie, it's going to be amazing because he's got a bunch of stuff that no one talks about at all, too, outside of like the obvious movies. Uh, And this is one of those movies where it's like, I don't think he was very well cast in this. He's not Italian. He's like, just wait, he's just doing his Italian. He's doing this Italian accent. Oh, Uh, yeah, he's doing that. And it's like his singing is not amazing. His performance, his ability to be like when he needs to do that stuff is not quite there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Very odd choice. But uh, yeah, this is just like uh, as I watched earlier this year, Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely Rob Marshall and it's definitely a musical. Um, as I mentioned to you, uh, off podcast, I, th- I think the appeal of these movies is like people like musicals and they like to mm-hmm. watch like beautiful people dancing. They like to watch dance and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, professional dancers, particularly women, they, they are fit physical specimens. They look amazing because they're, they're what, Jared? fit physical specimens. They look oh, great. Okay. Their, their, their bodies are totally tuned up. Their muscles are like peak shape to dance. And it's like a very pleasing figure. And it like looks really great when it's moving around and you'll go, wow, look at all these beautiful, hot women. But that's not a movie. That's just like, Oh, yup. And you're also editing constantly. We talked about this back when we were, uh, watching, um, swing time. 
how mm-hmm. like Fred Astaire would shoot musical scenes from afar and he had things uh, situated in a way where you'd see the full dancer moving back and forth and he hated close-ups, all these sort of like rules he had about how to make a musical. This movie, you know, it's a 2009 musical. Nah, fuck that shit. We're going to constantly cut and cut into scenes and like, so you never really focus on it. You always get to see like the the, the actress that you know and recognize in the foreground and you get all the anonymous people in the back because they're just the filler that are there for the moment and for the movement. But uh yeah, I watched uh what is it? I think I did a time check and like how much longer is this? And I was like, oh god, I've only watched like 30 minutes of it. I'm only a quarter <laughs> of the way through because it's two hours long and it's just brutal, uninteresting, unnecessary. The flights of fancy that are like so well integrated into uh eight and a half, they're just like mm-hmm. obvious like flights of fancy stuff, just like in Chicago, where it's like, oh, we have to make a clear delineation of when reality and musical fantasy occur. Otherwise audiences will be confused. <laughs> and uh it's really like, oh God. And that's actually one of the things with Stardust Memories I was kind of like surprised by was how uh, poorly the flights of fanti- fantasies were incorporated into the movie mm-hmm. in comparison to like how good Fellini does it. Um, what about that beanbag movie though? Which one's better? Uh, I haven't seen the beanbag one. Um, <sighs> do you, do you even care about this podcast? Is that like little big planet? Uh, I think it is, but I think it's like the edgy version. Oh. Cause it's like Gore Verbinski or something like that. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> It's edgy, bro. Have you? Are you familiar at all with that nine? I know the beanbag one. Yeah. No, uh, I heard about this one time, and I think my first reaction was like, "That's not a movie." I think I brought it up to you, and you were like, "What?" (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's like I don't think that's a movie. I've never heard of such a thing. Yeah. Uh, And I still don't think it's a movie. Yeah, we have uh, Fergie shows up. To, uh, as uh, Serafina, of course. Like Fergie Ferg? Yeah, Fergie. From uh, Black Eyed Peas? Correct. Oh, she's Saragina? Yeah. She's not thick enough to be Saragina. Uh, she, maybe she bulked up for this one. They should have got Danny DeVito. Ugh. Threw a wig on him. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sex style. Sex style. Well. You ever seen one of those? No. Well, yeah, those are, those are some thoughts about uh, a very, there's so many like people doing their own eight and a halves. This is just uh, a couple of direct uh, descendants of that though. But hey, RJ. What? There's some people who hate eight and a half. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Want to hear from them? Not really, but you're going to do it anyway, so. Half star is getting busted out. Ooh, Jesus. Lillian Crawford. I really hope that Fellini felt better for having made this. Are they implying that this was like some kind of self-treatment for Fellini? Maybe. Maybe it was. Mm. Who cares? Yeah, that's what film is, bro. Yeah. Bruh. What can you tell us about Lillian Crawford? Who, me? Wow, I am a little bit behind here. Yeah. you uh, you keep going. Simon Evans, half a star. I am unsure how this movie is seen by many as a classic. Burnt out images and a forced semi-storyline of sorts left me cold. 
For me, it is like the student who finds something cool out of nothing just to say it's cool. Lots of close-ups of elderly, once glamorous women mixed in with Ugh. younger, desperate females. Always, whenever someone says that, I just think females. of Ferengi. I think of Ferengis trying to get that part in the director's new movie. Well, he seems to have no idea what the storyline is or will be. His mind plays games with us, and his dreams become integral to what is already a confusing story. And I was kept reminded that it all felt so shallow. This could well be director Fellini's comment on movie making at the time or the state of Italian politics. Who knows? Simon Evans, eh? No. This guy is a little out there. Uh, They just watch movies from the 30s and the 40s. They have have no five-star ratings. Oh, shit. That's pretty wild. They're uh, they're all about tall orders. But they do have some half star ratings. Uh, your new favorite movie, Hereditary, it was given a half star. <laughs> uh, Kong, Skull Island, was given a half star. Uh, Exodus, Gods and Kings, uh, that, that movie's pretty bad. It's not half star bad. Uh, this person's a little out there. But uh, back to Lillian Crawford, Jared, mm. because you messed that up. Uh, favorite films include uh, The Skin I Live In and In the Mood for Love. Whoa. Yeah, and they don't have very many five-star movies either, but they do have The Artist and The Shape of Water as five-star movies. They do have stuff like Amadeus and, uh, you know, Billy Elliot. That's pretty cool, but First Man, that's not a five-star movie. Lillian Crawford, Uh, she's talking about, girl. We have Andrew Swafford, who writes, Found the Other Half. Oh, that's so funny, Jarrett. That's <laughs> so funny. Uh, would you believe that they are a fan of Do the Right Thing? It would surprise me. They're also a fan, Jarrett, of Twin Peaks. Oh. And Suspiria. Wow. And The Matrix. Whoa. Oh, five stars to The Conjuring. Oh, here we go. Five stars, funny games from 2007. Nice. That's right. The remake. Oof. Oof. Real Asian friend, half a star. Oof. There are too many works like this. For example, Memories of Underdevelopment. White, cis, heterosexual male artists consider that their thoughts works are so deep and great that they fall in love with themselves and make artworks that show white, cis, heterosexual male wonders and wanders the world with pretty young vaginas, which, of course, should be attracted with uh, such middle-aged man. How can we have art without white male? Um, okay. Uh, they, they have a lot of uh, movies that they've given five stars. Lots of movies, Jerry. Not a lot in between five stars and half a star. So it's either five star or it's a half a star. I see. Uh, but their favorite movies are Agnes Varda movies, like Cleo from Five to Seven. That movie that we were really, really stoked about. Right. Yeah. I got one more here, RJ. All right. Simon Evans logged this movie twice. Oh, Really? Half a star. And this is from like three years earlier. A masterpiece, they say. I've never seen a movie where I simply did not get any of it. Total shambles from start to finish. I would not know where to start and where to end. Not one minute of this two-hour piece did I understand or care to understand. I am Mm. obviously not 
in on what is meant to be great. I felt like I had watched a movie where if you felt like throwing an idea into the arena, then so be it. Having read numerous reviews on IMDb that shout masterpiece loudly, I must admit to being dumbstruck. I am not a sheep and will shout loudly for myself and say, not for me, without taking a swipe. Shell-shocked, totally off its rocks. Mm -hmm. I liked the scaffolding sequence. I did not enjoy the experience. (laughs) Not a sheep, eh? I find it hard hard to believe that they gave Lost in Translation four and a half stars when they're not being the sheep. Affliction four and a half stars, I understand. That's a pretty cool movie. But The Revenant four and a half stars? Hmm. You mean that remake of Gladiator, The Revenant? Uh, Carol? Actually, so, again, I I didn't mention it before because I was like, well, whatever. Uh, Everyone who shits on eight and a half likes that movie Carol, that Todd Haynes movie. (laughs) Like, I'm not not kidding. This Simon Evans person likes Carol. uh, What was it? Um, Not Real Asian Friend. Andrew Swafford, they liked Carol. Carol and uh, Lillian Crawford, Swafford Crawford. That's weird. They they all gave Carol like five stars. Huh? What is going on <laughs> with people on Letterboxd? I don't get it. Nah, I don't know. <laughs> I, oh, I, also, in the mood for love seems to be pretty popular with these people. Well, it's weird. Just a few more weeks. Yeah. Um. No. Yeah. I don't know, man. Eight and a half. Uh, it's it's up there for me as far good. as the, these criterions go. Way up. Would there. you would you say it's pretty good? Yeah, I mean, is it in your top five? I'd say it's uh, in the second in the one hundred and one to two hundred range. So far, I'd say it's the top mm. of the pile. Oh, it's number one of list number two. Yes, my mm. my, my private list. Your private list. Your yeah. privates. Yeah. There's not that much competition, though. It's, it's not uh, in the back end yet. No, so far it's been like uh, just like, it's pretty easy to pick out the the winners in the of the pack anyway. Mm-hmm. Anyways, well, yeah. Well, there you have it. After the break, uh, I'm going to be dead because I'm crawling under this table here and shooting myself in the head. It's about time. You just have to tear down the podcast setup here, RJ. We're going home. Uh. Well, destroying's better than creating, I guess. I would like to be everywhere at once. I know that's a contradiction in terms, and it's a problem. Especially when my body is nearing 50 years, my mind is nearing 10. I can hardly stay up, and I can't get to sleep. And I don't want to wake tomorrow morning at the bottom of some heap. But why take it so seriously? After all, there's nothing at stake here, only me. I want to be young, and I want to be old. I would like to be wise before my time, and yet be foolish and brash and bold. I would like the universe to get down on its knees and say, Guido, whatever you please, it's okay, and if it's impossible, we'll arrange. That's all that I want. How's your movie coming along? What, my short film? Yeah. 
Uh, it's pretty good. Domino's Pizza has been really reluctant to let me do it, but... Well, you've been talking shit about him and buying all that Pizza Hut. I would be too. Yeah, I know. Well, it is a... It's one of those, like... You know, like, those woke films? It's all about <laughs> cis white males that eat at Domino's. Oh, my God. Well, and maybe, how uh, the woke pizza is Pizza Hut. Well, I know that you're really fighting to keep that rape scene in, so uh, just keep up the good fight. Eventually, they will uh, acquiesce, and they'll see your real vision through. Acquiesce. Yeah. That's a $10 word, baby. Damn right. You can email us at criterioncreeps at gmail.com and tell us about your... $10 words. Yeah. Uh, what, do you, what do you like more, Pizza Hut or pizza, uh, Domino's? Oh, God. I mean, I work in a store like part of the year that's like right next door to a Domino's, and I smell that shit all the time. It's just gross. It's, or- it's orange. It's so orange. Uh, it's not good. Kind of like you. I used to eat those Cinestics all the time, and then I got really fat. I'm sure you did. <laughs> and then I stopped eating them, and now I'm fine. Correlation? We, we Correlation got, is not causation, Jared. Yeah, I don't know. I, I stopped bathing, and uh, I got rich. So, I don't know. We got a Facebook page. We're on Instagram. We're on Letterboxd. I'm Jared Tankinese Barnloaf. We got that Patreon. We're on YouTube. We're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, a bunch of other shit. Mm-hmm. Next week, we're back on schedule, and just in time. Next week, RJ... Marcel Carnet's Children of Men. Sorry, Children of Men. Children, Children. of Paradise. <laughs> Children of Men it, it is... Rolls, uh, it just rolls I didn't off, know that. It just rolls off the tongue. Yeah, hmm. it came, it, the movie came out 15 years earlier, I guess, or 10 years earlier than when this DVD came out on wow. DVD from Criterion. 1943, <laughs> this Children of Paradise. One of our only interviews on the podcast, RJ, Maurice Yanoir. You remember that guy way back I when? I do. He said this was one of his favorite movies ever. Are you going to get him back? Now that we're a global phenomenon? Uh, I could, but I'm probably not going to. Uh, wow. We are going to find out if he was full of shit or not. Wow. You should you should contact him. Yeah. Let him know. Let him know. Hey, Mo. We're, hey. we're there. We finally Maurice. got the Children of Paradise. We're going to watch Children of Men, your favorite movie. Yeah, that is one of my favorite movies. I like the movie quite a bit. Such a bro. Who? Me? Yeah, film bro. I do what I can. <laughs> Good night. Um, who are you? <laughs>